With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This fall, the Fantasy Sports Channel will make history all over again with even more live fantasy sports radio than anywhere on the planet. At least 12 hours of fantasy football, baseball, basketball, and hockey action each Monday through Friday. Plus more fantasy sports talk every Saturday and Sunday. More than 50 shows in all from the best fantasy sportscasters in the business. Try getting that on your radio dial. The Fantasy Sports Channel, only on Blog Talk Radio. It's a schedule you can bet on. One bleeds red. One bleeds blue. Two friends. One heated rivalry. It's intense. It's no holds barred. It's game time. On Red versus Blue Sports Talk Radio with your host Scott Atkins and Michael Trent. Scott and Mike and their versatility bring new light to many topics in and out of the world of fantasy sports. Guests can reach the show by calling 347-324-5404. Red vs. Blue Sports Talk Radio, where Planet Red and Big Blue Nation collide. Let's hope they're still friends afterwards. Here they are, Scott and Mike. conversation uh i'm very anxious to uh embrace on the uh 90 minute conversation that we're going to have with uh greg and matt uh i'm looking forward to it uh the big 12 
The Big 12 is no more. Kansas, what do they do? Uh, geographically, uh, things have uh, dissolved. So, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with all that, but uh, the Big 12 is no more. And, and, and I, you know, the one thing I can think of about this um, this Big 12 travesty here and this Pac-10 happening, it's definitely not for the fans. It's all about the money. There's only one possible uh, thing here that's going on, and it's all about what kind of money can, can be made from these organizations and outfits. And, you know, you've got – it's not about the athletes. It's not about the students. Um, just lots of lots of things going on yeah. in that Big 12. And it's just a mess, Mike. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, the Big East, they, they tried to do it uh, about uh, six, eight years ago, and uh, they almost succeeded. But I think the Pac-10, they've – they 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 have definitely succeeded this time. Well, the pack, the, the Big Ten I think is going to reap some of these rewards for sure, Mike. So let, let's just keep an eye on it. Not not a lot. What what we can say about it right now, we just have to have to keep an eye on it, and it's just going to shake things up, man. I, it just makes a mess of basketball and football. You know, the, at the center of it, somehow, some way, Notre Dame's going to be at the center of this thing. You know, being living here in Indiana, we know what what uh, the Irish means to all the people living around here. They've got that big fat TV contract, and that's uh, that's that's definitely appealing to all of those organizations. Well, Scott, it's all football oriented. Uh, you know, when when you break it down, it's all football oriented because a lot of these teams, they're, they're, the Pac-10, uh, their chairman is they want this team. But what about Kansas? Kansas is—they're is, getting left out in the dark as far as as far as this thing goes. They could end up in the Mountain West or what have you, as far as a uh, conference. I mean, Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor, Baylor up and coming. I mean, they're no—you uh, know—they're no uh, big, big time team, but uh, you know they still have something to uh, something to say in this thing and. Uh, Everything I hear, though, Mike, it's about the money. I hear them, you know, they're looking for Rutgers, you know, to, to get into the conference because they've got the big market there in New York. You know, it's all about the money for this for this these guys, and I understand it. It just makes it just makes a kind of a mess, you know. We these, these conferences are, are are traditionals, you know, and and what's going to happen here is you're going to have these big powerhouse conferences with 16 teams in them. It's just going to what's going to happen, you know? You're not going to have you're going to have all these at large bids now in the NCAA basketball. It's just going to be a it's just going to be a mess. I'm not well, a fan of it at all. It's well, well, the, down the, well the one thing uh, to try to wrap this up real quick, Scott, is uh, you know it, it makes no sense at all because uh, I, I think what they're trying to do is break down the BCS because now you can't have uh, number two out of the uh, Pac-10, number two out of the uh, Big Ten, number three out of the Big Ten because What's going to happen now is because it's going to be three power pot conferences that, I mean, they're going to control everything, and the Big 12, they're dissolved. So it means nothing as far as our bowl games. The bowl games and how the BCS is going to determine who goes to where, that's going to be a big mess. Yeah, well, Mike, we started this show tonight at 1030 Eastern. It's a half hour early of what we normally do. We, we did that because we've just got so much uh, information here that we want to cover. Obviously, we've got the player news that's going on. We've got lots of news going on with the Fantasy Players Association. That site is, is going along well. Um, we're going to be releasing several of our big stories that we've uh, – our final reports are going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks here. 
but we've got Greg Ambrosius coming up here from Fanball and the National Fantasy Football Championship. Can't wait to talk to Greg. Um, and, and, I, and I want everybody to kind of, you know, get to know, uh, you know, these, these, these talents and, and these names that, we, that have hidden sort of somewhat behind these message board names. You know, you, you interact with these people on the message boards, but do you know who they are? And, and that's sort of what we want to do tonight. We want to start by embracing uh, Greg and, and get to know him a little bit. And then we've, got, um, we've also got Matt Waldman from footballguys.com. He released a fantastic article. You've got to go check it out. Uh, he actually does this article every single year. He calls it the weekly gut check. And the, the gut check in particular that I really found interesting was an article called Last Year's Second Half Wonders, This Year's 2010 Sleepers and Breakouts. It's a fantastic article, Mike. If you haven't checked it out, oh. it's it, it, it's in-depth, quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Um, it, it's just one of those articles that you come away with, you know, a lot of questions. He also covers the tight ends in it, too. You come away with a lot of questions, but you come away with a lot of insight and things that you, you say, you know what, I'm glad I read that article. I feel more prepared now. And that's what Matt uh, is going to come on and talk uh, to us tonight about that gut check. But, Mike, if we didn't start at 1030, we wouldn't have any time for ourselves to break down a little bit of news, a little bit of what's going on. You know, we're obviously in uh, dynasty leagues together. We've got uh, we're, we're competitors in several leagues. Um, and I've got this high-stakes dynasty league getting ready to start up over at uh, the FFPC. It's finally somebody offered a dynasty league high-stakes. And I had to take advantage of it. It's got a, a $1,250 entry fee, Mike. But this thing is going to blow the roofs off. Uh, the, the talent in this thing, I've looked, at the, I've looked at the 12 guys that are in there, the 11 other guys that are in there besides me. They are fantastic dynasty players. I, I'm already, I'm alre- I already know what's going to happen. There's going to be all, all of us are working off these same exciting guys that we've, we're looking to target. And they're going to come and get cherry-picked right off the board real fast. And we're going to be – I just know that's what's going to happen. I see these names, Cavalier, King Charles, and Corn Fins, and uh, Joe Jefferson, Quick Six, all yep. these guys – uh, that are in this league with me, it's going to be just uh, uh, it's going to be a bloodbath. But Mike, I've got an offer this week. Again, it's still sitting on the table. It's a straight up offer: Tony Romo or Philip Rivers. You've got, got Tony Romo, 30 years old. You've got Philip Rivers, like 20 or, or 28 and 26, something like that. They're real close. There's only a couple years difference. But you've got Romo that's absolutely loaded with weapons this year. Philip Rivers with the Vincent Jackson holdout, and then you've got Gates. Mike, what would you do there in this situation? Who do you feel better about long-term? Long-term, uh, I feel better about Romo. I would, uh, you know, Rivers, I mean, he's done a lot of things, and he's going to keep doing a lot of things uh, for them. But uh, long-term, uh, I, I, there is, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Jerry Jones will keep on giving Romo receiver after receiver after receiver Whatever it takes. Uh, I'm not so sure that uh, Sammy Hill's going to do that. Uh, you know, they're, they're just kind of giving him some guys, some young guys. But uh, I, I, I would go with uh, Romo, believe it or not. Well, I can't pull the trigger on this thing, man. I, if you would have asked me before Des Bryant landed in Dallas, I would have taken Phil Rivers in a heartbeat. But now seeing what I'm seeing with Vincent Jackson, and this is just a mess right now, you know, this guy has all the upside in the world. He could be a top five wide receiver, if he, if, you know, with a Phillip Rivers at the helm. And now you've got, you know, you have this pending suspension possibly uh, for his conduct, and now you've got, uh, you've got issues with his contract and, and not being able to work things out there. I mean, who knows? Malcolm Floyd might be the guy that Phillip Rivers connects with this year along with Antonio Gates. And, uh, you know, 
But I, I see Romo, like you said. Romo's got so many weapons right now. There's nothing stopping it. I mean, unless he declare he wants to go to PGA or something and start playing professional golf, that's the only thing I'd be worried about, right? Well, well and, you know, another thing, Scott, and it's like what I said just a little bit earlier, uh, you know, Rivers uh, Rivers and Romo, in my opinion, talent-wise, there's not much difference, in my opinion. But on the other side of it, which team wants it more and which team is going to spend the more money? Uh, I think Dallas is going to spend the more money to try to get the wide receivers, to try to get the tight ends, uh, to make their team better uh, as far as uh, wide outs and things like that. So I would go with – talk about long term, long term, I would go with uh, Tony Romo. Well, and I'm going to get Greg's opinion on that as well. Uh, let's talk about what's going on in Tampa Bay, Mike. This rookie, Mike Williams, um, is is looking fantastic, and you know you've got you got to keep an eye on some of these guys in camp. You know who's going to be the number one target in Tampa? Well, it doesn't sound like a a real appealing option. But remember what Antonio Bryant did. Antonio Bryant led teams to championships just a few years ago. Uh, that was with Jeff Garcia at the helm, I believe. But now it's Josh Freeman, the strong arm kid, and and you've got two rookies coming into the fold: Aurelius Ben and now Mike Williams. Mike Williams was a fantastic player, I think, for Syracuse, I believe, if, if, I, if I got that right. And I remember he had all kinds of uh, team problems, maybe getting kicked off the team, and the team didn't vote him back on. And he, or he got really offended by the fact that half the team – what happened, I think, the team did vote him back on to the, te- uh, to the to team activities, but he got so offended and his feelings got so hurt that, like, 40% of the team didn't want him back. He decided not to play. So he's got some real head issues. These kids a lot of times do. And – but he's a fantastic talent, and Tampa really got a steal in the draft with this kid, I believe. And so you've got Mike Williams and really has been two big targets now uh, in Tampa that Josh Freeman might be able to do something with. And I'm a big Josh Freeman dynasty fan, Mike. I don't know about you, but I think this team has, a, has the makings of, of some, some good youth. They've got to prove themselves, but uh, yeah. from, from what they're saying, Mike Williams has the, has the skills. Well, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I'm not. You know, I'm not a big fan of Josh Freeman uh, until I see what he can really do. I mean, he's shown a lot of things. Um, You know, if you want to compare him to, say, a Joe Flacco, uh, I can't do that right now. No, no. That that, that doesn't make me a fan of uh, Josh Freeman. But uh, then again, you know, when you're put into a system that – allows you to do what you need to do, then uh, Josh Freeman can do that. Well, I'll He's tell you what, if, type of... I hear what you're saying. If, if if I'm in a dynasty league and I'm thinking about what I'm going to do about my quarterback, do I go and grab one of the early quarterbacks? If I miss out on the quarterback run, or I intentionally do to load up on running backs and wide receivers, a strategy that I'm looking forward to seeing somebody take advantage of, Mike, is grabbing a Brett Favre, okay, somebody that you know has the time and has the has the age on him, and then coming back with later like a Josh Freeman, somebody that is unproven, that, that is young, that you don't have to count on this year or maybe even next, but you've got, you've got Favre to, to hold the fort down. You grab him early and you come back with a Freeman later. Maybe you grab Freeman earlier than Favre in a dynasty, uh, very likely. Uh, or you could come back with a Sam Bradford or something like that. Just a young guy, and, and yeah. now you've got that combination, Favre, and then the youth. That's an, I, I like that dynasty strategy. If you're talking dynasty now, uh, well, that's what we are. Uh, you pretty much, uh, I would go, uh, I'd go Freeman before uh, Brett Favre, no sure. question about it, because yeah. uh, you have to do that because, you know, the the kid, I'm not high on him, but the bottom line is he proved last year that he uh, 
you know, I mean, he can he can make things happen for that team, and so you know, you almost got to go with him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I and I misspoke there. Absolutely, you, you have to take uh, Freeman before Far, but I, I just kind of like the the ability to take him and get it out of the way, and then and then come back with Favre later to take to hold the fort down. So. Uh, I, I kind of like to see some, somebody take advantage of that strategy. Mike, this Welker, uh, I heard it on the, the BFD show the other night. Uh, we were talking, uh, they were talking about Wes Welker and, and, you know, this injury that he has. He's running, uh, he, he's, he's practicing, and, he, and he's running these routes. But I'm seeing Welker fall tremendous depth in redrafts and in Dynasty Leagues, Mike. And if this kid yeah. can rec- – I mean, every, everybody gets a knee injury here or there, and, and you're never the same, but you're still – Tom Brady's favorite possession receiver, and you're getting all that work. Welker fell to the end of the sixth round, Mike, uh, behind the likes of Mike Wallace and Pierre Garçon and Chad Ochocinco in that seven fifty in that seven hundred fifty dynasty league. Now you don't get him this year, you know, full strength, but down the road you still got Wes Welker. I can't imagine why they're letting him fall to the sixth round. Can you? Oh, Scott, injuries injuries make players fall. And he will continue to fall and continue to fall. And uh, it's uh, it's the dynasty players, it's uh, the high-stakes players that will uh, scope out and say, hey, this guy is okay. But, uh, you know, I'm, be- I'm very skeptical skeptical when it comes to uh, Wes Welker right now. Um, and so I can understand why he's falling. Well, it's it's definitely uh, something to keep an eye on. And, and I saw him in the Genesis League that I drafted, and I saw him. He was sitting there for me, and I passed on him just because this year I don't think he's going to be uh, able to perform yep. like he needs to be. And and, and, I, and I really like the sleeper, Brandon Tate. If you watched UCLA or North Carolina football back in, you know, when Hakeem Nix and Brandon Tate were in action, they were a dynamic duo, so to speak, for that offense. And this Brandon Tate kid, he, he got injured in his rookie year. He wasn't able to perform, but Tom Brady likes this kid a lot. And you're going to see a lot of, uh, obviously, Randy Moss is, is, is still running strong. Uh, you're you're going to see a lot more Julian Edelman this year as Welker recovers. I would, uh, Don't sleep on know, this Brandon said, Tate kid. When you, said, when you said Randy Moss is still running strong, I would be very leery of Randy Moss. Yeah, well, you know, he, he he's still going to get his, I would imagine, with Tom Brady. There's just no way um, that you're you're, you're going to keep that guy out of action. But, yeah, he's not somebody that I'm going to be taking over, you know, uh, Reggie Wayne this year or anything like that. You know, I'm still going to be taking Reggie Wayne, Brandon Marshall, Roddy White, all these guys before, you know, I probably take a, a chance on a Randy Moss on, on that age. Because, like you said, you know, you're, the wheels start to – We'll start to get a little rusty as you get a little older. Uh, Jermaine, uh, Jermichael Finley, Mike, uh, he still has this knee tendonitis issue. Uh, he, he's been limited all off season, And, you know, he had that bad injury uh, late in the, you know, last year when he missed four weeks. Uh, we had a, he had a partial tear of that MCL. But this is, uh, this is one of your elite dynasty players as far as tight ends are concerned, Mike. If you if you're on the clock and you want to grab your tight end and you see Vernon Davis and Jermichael Finley are there, who do you take? Vernon Davis, uh, because the only reason is because Jermichael Finley. Uh, I'm I'm really concerned about the entire situation with him and his health. I'm concerned about the the offensive structure and what's going to happen with that team. Um, so I you know I I can't do that right now with uh, Finley. I, 
you know, I, I love the team. I, I love the direction they're going in, but I don't like uh, Finley and and his and his spot and uh, especially his his help. Yeah. Well, Mike, I, I tell you what. If I'm looking at that situation, I, I see that I see that you have on one side of the table you have Aaron Rodgers, and on the other side of the table you have Alex Smith. And tight end for tight end talent, okay, you can argue and flip a coin on both of those guys on who has more talent. But let's look at the offensive system. Let's look at the quarterback. And head and shoulders, Green Bay has the edge there. So, for me, it's not even close. I love Vernon Davis. Don't get me wrong. I love that seam pass that he catches all the time, and and he's got that talent. But for me, you see the quarterback, you see the offense, you take that every time before you look at the talent. I mean, look at what Dallas Clark did. He's not an elite supreme talent, but in that offense, Peyton Manning can find him. You're going to throw for 4,000 yards, and you, you don't have to worry about it. So, uh, for for me, I'm looking at the quarterback situation. It's a coin flip on the talent. I think they're both elite players, and, and I and I kind of side with the quarterback situation with Green Bay. Mike, I think, I think we're ready. Uh, I think we're ready to go ahead and bring on uh, Greg Ambrosius from Fanball in the National Fantasy Football Championship. Greg, are you with us? I sure am. Thanks for having me, Scott. Hey, man, I am so glad we got this done, man. We've been working on this for I don't know how long, maybe like over a month or two. We've been trying to uh, get our schedules on, on the same page, and I've been out, and I've been, and then I was sick, and then I went on vacation, and you were out. And, uh, Greg, it's, I'm, I'm ecstatic to have you with us. Well, thanks for having me, and I can answer your questions there. Uh, I would definitely take Philip Rivers over Romo. Okay. Rivers is 28 years old. Uh, I like everything San Diego is doing. You're talking about young talent. I mean, they just brought in Ryan Matthews. They got a running game now. It's going to be there for quite a while. So, to me, I hear what you're saying about Romo. But uh, if I'm in a dynasty league, I would take Rivers over Romo. Even in the straight up this year, it's a tough call. I think Romo's got everything going for him, but uh, Rivers is still going to put up big numbers. As far as the tight ends in a dynasty, I mean, that one isn't even close. Uh, Finley is 23 years old. Uh, as far as his health, he came back after that injury last year. In fact, they were sucking after Finley was out uh, when he got hurt against Tampa Bay. They just struggled a little bit. He came back. If you remember in the playoff game against Arizona, he was a monster with six catches, 100 and some plus yards. Yeah. Uh, the one thing you got to really look at Finley is they love the jump ball with him in the red zone. I think he's going to get an awful lot more touchdowns this year because Rodgers just loves to throw that jump ball. And there's a cornerback or safety that's going to be able to guard him in that red zone there so sorry to interject too much but i think that finley davis one in the dynasty is a no-brainer finley to me would be number two tight end on the board there in the dynasty league well i'll tell you what greg you really interjected and you <laughs> you interjected in, in a great way of bringing up uh some good stuff uh i still don't agree with you but uh that's i mean <laughs> That's the beauty of it. I mean, we all have our own rankings, and that's great, you know. But uh, absolutely, you know, absolutely, and I love to make a splash on the show, and that's what I love to hear. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, and Finley's an interesting one. I mean, the Packers drafted him when he was 21 years old, and his rookie year, he was very immature and everything. But uh, you know, this kid, and I hate to say it, I'm a Packers season ticket holder, so I get to see those guys an awful lot. But this kid has really got some talent, and uh, he matured more last year 
than any player that I've really seen from year to year, how he just really picked up the offense and he worked hard in the offseason. And if you've been reading, he's been doing, what, martial arts and all that stuff this offseason to try and get himself even in better shape. So he's committed. He, he knows he can be the best tight end in football. And uh, he's a real interesting character. And he's only 23 years old, which a lot of people don't realize. Man, oh, man. Yeah. He, he, he's an elite talent. I saw him go in a dynasty league that awarded one and a half points per reception. I yeah. saw Jermichael Finley go in the first round at 110. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> that, very... That's interesting. I mean, I'm high on him. That's But, but again, you know, you're, you're looking at your tight end that you could have for, you know, the next 10 years. So Ten it's years. Uh, very interesting. So, yeah, that's why – you know, I didn't mean to interject too much, but I would definitely take him over Davis in a, in well, a nice I, I appreciate that. I've been struggling with that Rivers and Romo trade for a while because I absolutely love Rivers and what he's doing. And like you said, they bring in Ryan yeah. Matthews. You think that's going to open things up a little bit, but he doesn't have anybody to throw to, especially if Gates is getting a little gimp, gimpy as he, as he ages here. He has no receivers to speak of. I mean, Malcolm Floyd maybe and uh, Nani yeah. and – uh, I don't know if you'll ever see that that one kid come back, whoever uh, Buster Davis, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But yeah. And, they, and they're not addressing it in the draft. But River, Rivers is is absolutely elite. But uh, Greg, you mentioned you're a Packers season ticket holder. Talk to us about uh, your history with Green Bay. I went to one game in the past. It was one of the. <laughs> it was an opening game. Uh, oh, I'm a Jets fan, and so yeah. It was a it was an opening season game where Vinny Testaverde was the quarterback of the Jets, and we came into Lambeau Field. And my wife and I uh, went to that game, and man, oh man, the Lambeau Field was amazing just to be yeah. there on opening day, and a beautiful day. It wasn't that cold yet, but everybody was so <laughs> friendly, and now they've got the new Lambeau. Tell me about your history with the Packers. Yeah, I mean, I've grown in, grown up near the Green Bay area. I was born in 1960, and my, my dad actually got season tickets in 1960. It's when they extended County Stadium there, and uh, he got four tickets, and they've been in our family our our whole life, and my, my dad's no longer with us, and my mom no longer can go, but uh, us, our family, we got six kids. We go to every single home game. It's almost like a family reunion, and four go in, and two other people find two more seats. Uh, you can buy them. It's the toughest ticket in America because it's been sold out every game, but people do scalp tickets around the stadium so you can pick them up. So it's just gotten to be such a family ritual for us that was started by our parents, and uh we we just make our kids, every one of our kids, have to be bleeding green and gold. And uh, my boy's eight years old, and, you know, his whole room is decorated in Packers. He's got fat heads all over the place. So, yeah, yeah my three kids are just cool. diehard Packer fans, just like we were diehard Packer fans as kids. I mean, my dad went to the NFC Championship games, and uh, when I had the chance, you know, to go to the Giants NFC Championship game, man, I want to miss that for all the money in the world. And froze my ass off and my beer froze right in the cup there but uh just had the time of my life i mean i went to the nfc championship game against carolina at least that started at 11:30, and it was sunny out uh the giants game started at four o'clock and it was freezing out but uh and i went to the super bowl in new orleans when the packers won there it was probably the greatest day of my life to be able to to go there and celebrate with so many packer fans and stuff so my memories, I mean, Lambeau Field is, you can bury me there. I and mean, I've said that to you, you can bury me there. I just, it's, it's a place where I just forget about life. I just, you get away for five hours, you know. We, we tailgate beforehand, we tailgate afterwards. So, yeah, it's just the greatest. And it is just a beautiful stadium since they've done the renovation and expanded. Uh, yeah. yeah. They've expanded from 60,000 to over 70,000. So they've added 10,000 seats in the last decade here. 
And and that is the one wow. thing I'll I'll never forget about Green Bay and Lambeau was the tailgate. It was so massive all the way around yeah. the stadium. Uh, Jets yeah. fans interacting, mingling with the Packer fans, but it was it oh. was it was just a really impressive uh impressive tailgate. Yeah. Probably the most impressive yeah. tailgate I've ever seen. But a lot of people don't realize, I mean the the stadium is built right in the city of Green Bay, so there's homes all the way around. I mean, there's neighborhoods right around there. There is some parking lot area there and I think probably 40,000 people can can tailgate there, but the remaining 30,000 are in parking lots. And we're in a guy's backyard along with other people, and he opens his door, and we use his bathroom. We go in and use his uh, fireplace to warm up and stuff, and that's how the people all around Lambeau are. They just take you in, and they will help you, and it's just it's a unique, unique atmosphere. When opposing teams come in, we welcome them in there. You know, We don't boo them or, or do anything. If you're coming to Lambeau, that means you work to get that ticket, and we honor you for coming on in, so it's, it's really special. Well, you know, I, I think it's really neat, Greg, because uh, you know uh, the city the city owns the team, and uh, what's the what's the population of Green Bay? Hundred thousand. It's a hundred thousand. Yeah, I mean, there you go. That right there that speaks volume of uh, of what the city and the community and the whole uh, area they care about that team that much, and I think that's pretty yeah. cool. I'll tell you an interesting thing. I mean, they used to play games in Milwaukee. They used to play three games in Milwaukee and five games in Green Bay. Milwaukee saved the franchise three different times, if you do the history of the Green Bay Packers. And so they played three of their games down there. And what people don't realize is when they decided in the 60s, Bob Harlan said, we've got to play them all in Lambeau Field. We've got to make that our home field advantage. Splitting them up is not helping us. We've got to do that. So what they did was they have 70,000 season ticket holders in Green Bay with a 50,000 waiting list, okay? You'll never get a ticket because they don't get rid of them, but you had 70,000 plus 50,000 on the waiting list there. Then you've got 70,000 different season ticket holders from Milwaukee with 50,000 more on the waiting list there. So the Packers actually have 140,000 season ticket holders and 100,000 on the waiting list. <laughs> yeah, it's not It's wow. not going to happen. You might as well forget. You're going to have to buy them from somebody before they die and yeah. just get them transferred over to you or something. Well, so, it's interesting, though. Greg, 347-324-5404. Uh, We're talking with Greg Ambrosius uh, of the National Fantasy Football Championship. Uh, Greg, you, you, you've uh, been a season ticket holder for the Packers for the, for so many years, since the, you said 1960s. Um, talk to us about how fantasy football came into play here and, and where your start came from in this in this game. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I went to college to be a radio and TV major and found out I was too ugly for TV and didn't have a very good voice for radio either. So uh, I kind of got into newspapers. That's where they could hide me. And uh, <laughs> in college, we were playing Stratomatic baseball, the card games, you know. And we actually drafted our teams using the cards. So it was really a fantasy baseball game before there was fantasy baseball. And, uh, you know, in college we'd get beer and drink and do the Harry Carey impersonations of the roll of the dice. And it was just, it really caught me on how I could build my own teams playing Stratomatic. And uh, we all graduated, yeah. and about six years later we picked up the book on how to play rotisserie league baseball by Glenn Wagner. And we all said, let's get together once a year, have this massive draft, and play out our teams. And we did that in 86, and then we started fantasy baseball as well. In 89, I was journal, you know, sports editor for seven years, and I saw a classified ad in the Green Bay Press-Gazette saying they were looking for a rotisserie baseball editor up in Iola, Wisconsin. Well, I've lived in Wisconsin my whole life, and I didn't know where Iola was. I had heard of the city, but I didn't know where it was. And I came up here, and it was a town of 1,100 people. 
and I had a company here that was just an immaculate place. And they were the world's largest hobby publisher that uh, did all coin collecting, baseball card collecting, antique car collecting, stamp collecting, did all these type of magazines. And my publisher, Bob Lemke, had the foresight to say, this is going to be the next big hobby is fantasy sports, and we should be the first magazine out there. And when I interviewed for that job, I would have given my left testicle to get the job. I wanted it so bad. And uh, they hired me, and uh, I became the editor of, of Fantasy Baseball Magazine. We were the first one out there in 1989 with a circulation of 150,000. Uh, the Grogans were out there as well. Uh, I don't think they had the distribution that we had for football, uh, but we were also baseball and football. We published six times a year. And, you know, we almost folded many times because it just didn't take off. And uh, I worked my ass off, and we all worked hard, and we, we kept with it and kept with it. And then when the Internet talk took off in 96, it really brought in more players, but it also kind of killed the magazine industry. I mean, we're all still alive with magazines, but uh, the Internet really changed content, you know. And, uh, but it really helped the industry grow. And uh, through my career, you know, I've been in this 21 years now. I saw things that were happening. I was one of the founding members of the Fantasy Sports Players Association because in 1999 we saw contests ripping off players, not paying them. The largest company in the industry was Replica Corporation in 1998. They didn't pay their prizes. And so 12 of us industry leaders got together and we said, we're going to form an association to protect the players, which is interesting because I know you're doing that today, you know, 11 years later. Uh, we shouldn't be addressing that subject today. People who run games should be honest enough to take in the revenue and pay out the prizes, but that, that didn't happen in 1998. It's not happening in 2010. And so I became a leader on the trade side because I really felt like Prowsey Publications could help us run trade conferences. It was things that we've done in every field. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. When we ran our first trade conference in 2000, uh, I had known Charlie Wiegert and many of the other people in the industry for the last 8, 10 years, Ron Chandler and those guys, but we had never met. You know, we knew each other from phone calls, but we had never met each other. The industry had never gotten together, and that all changed with the FSPA and later became the FSTA. And, uh, you know, I, I was the first uh, fantasy writer for ESPN.com back in 96. Uh, wow. Rob Nyer hired me because they didn't have anybody. And I did ESPN radio for f six years with Jack Aroot, and, uh, you know, now I'm the president of the Fantasy Sports Association. So I've had my hat in a lot of different things. And uh, in 2004, we started the NFFC and NFBC and uh, just decided to get into high stakes. We really just felt, honestly, you know, give all the credit to Lenny and Emil. Uh, you know, I went to WCOFF in 2002, and people need to realize that in 2001, 2002, all the games were going free. And here come Lenny and Emil trying to charge $1,250 for a live event in Las Vegas. And I saw the ad, and I said, that, that just isn't going to fly. I mean, everyone's playing free now. And I went out to their first one and saw 552 people walk in there and hearing people shout, this is the effing Super Bowl of fantasy football. And they were right. Uh, Lenny and Emil were spot on with what they did. And I looked at that, and I said, I know I could do this in baseball. And I came up to Lenny and Emil, and I said, let's partner. I'll do baseball. And they were so wiped out because it was their personal money and all the sweat and work that they had done. You know, they were just wiped out. But they agreed. And we tried to do baseball together. And uh, my company was in the middle of being sold and didn't have the time to do that venture. And uh, things fell apart between us. And uh, unfortunately, I had to do it on my own later on and compete against Lenny and Amo. It was too bad because I really respected those guys. And I, 
I think if we had worked together, things would have been different for this side of the industry. But uh, just a long story and uh, just a lot of things that have happened through my 21 years. But uh, I'm not ready to retire. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the fun we're all going to have through this next decade, that's for sure. That sounds good. Wow, it's an, it's an amazing it's an amazing history, Greg. Uh, again, three four seven three two four five four zero four. We're we're talking with Greg Ambrosius of uh, the National Fantasy Football Championship. You, you kind of gave us the rundown of of how you kind of got involved with Krause Publications and and how the NFFC kind of came about. But then there came a day in August two thousand and nine that just kind of changed your world up a little bit. Tell talk to us and tell us <laughs> give give all the players and all of us that have been through this. <laughs> the 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 insight to what that day was like when w- w- did you hear about it ahead of time was it all of a shock and a sudden tell us a little bit about that day when fanball came into play well i mean the nfbc and the nffc had been growing for years uh we lost a lot of money in 2004 on both of them but uh we guaranteed the prizes and we held true to form and uh the next year we sold out baseball and we had a good football event. So, I mean, it was a struggle from the get-go, but the concept was to just grow our user base and keep getting a, uh, a respected high-stakes event and, and to make this thing go. And uh, Krause Publications was behind it, but like I said, then in 2004 we were sold, then we were sold again to a different company in 2006. And... Uh, you know, things change when you get bought out. And the new management wanted profit more than anything else. And, in fact, they were selling magazines that didn't have a 20% profit margin, okay? Well, when we're paying 80% in prizes, it's very tough to make a 20% profit margin. Yeah. And I kept telling them that, that even when we sell out, it's there's no way that you can make more than, let's just say, 10%. On profit, okay. This is a low margin business. Right. And while everybody wants to get into the high stakes, there's a reason why ESPN, Yahoo, and CBS don't get into this. Nobody wants to do this for a 7% profit margin or 8% profit margin when you sell out and you know, all the customer service and all that. So, so I had a management team that in 2009 came to me after we were doing just fabulous in baseball. We we're going to sell out set records and said they didn't want to be in this space anymore. This really wasn't what they were doing. The new management wanted to do different things. And, uh, you know, I was shocked. I really was. I worked 20 years there, and uh, my family is in Iola, Wisconsin. When you have a town of 1,200, it's not like you can just sell your house real easily and stuff and move on. And uh, I told them that if they really were serious about not being in this space, I could find three buyers in in one phone call. And in that meeting, they looked at me and said, go ahead and make that call. And this was in January. Uh, and uh, so I called some buddies, and uh, they made offers. And uh, one of them was, was Ryan. Ryan and I were at the NFL draft in April, and he asked what it would take to buy our company or buy our high stakes. He was interested and thought it would be a perfect fit for Fanball. And I thought Fanball would be a good fit, too. I, Charlie Weegard and I go way back, and Ryan and I go back a little bit, too, and uh, – I just knew the fanball people. I knew Brian and Carol real well, too, and just felt like it would be a nice fit. And I just said, go ahead and make them an offer. I think uh, uh, you might have a chance at this. And uh, Ryan, being Ryan, is very aggressive. He was on a plane within a week, was in New York, you know, had his offer to them and really became aggressive. And so, you know, that was in May. And then there was some negotiating going on. But they called me in the office one day and said, Greg, uh, your division's being sold, and you're being sold with it. And I said, you can do that in the 21st century? And they said, you sure can. 
And so wow. there, there was no heart or, or care about anything that I had done through 20 years. This was a business decision by the F&W people, and uh, I was just a pawn in all this. Uh, I think I was important to the sale, and I either was going or they were going to get rid of it without me. And, uh, you know, Ryan was just perfect. He, he worked with me very good and made sure that I was set up in Iola, that I have to move my family. And, uh, you know, Ryan and I get along very good, and it's been a great last year. But it was tr- certainly was a shocker. But I'm still in Iola, Wisconsin. My kids can still grow up here. And uh, Tom and I bust our ass just like we did when we were with F&W. And we're really proud of being a part of Fanball. You know, I, I have to stand up for Fanball sometimes, which is surprising because I've only been an employee for about, you know, 10 months. But uh, I know where this space is going. And you need your own back end. And you need your own promotional vehicle. And we've got serious radio. We've got five Fanball magazines. I'm proud to be a part of this team right now, just like I was proud to be part of Krause Publications. I'll always call them that for the last 20 years. Wow, that is definitely a, that is definitely a, awesome. a, a tough situation to have to go through and navigate, and, and, and it sounds like everything is, has worked out for the best for the well, NFFP. Well, I'll tell you the, one thing. Yeah. You know, one of the things was F&W wanted a bigger profit margin, and I'm not revealing anything. Again, they, they just said, how could we get a better profit margin because it was so small? And one of the reasons, what, one of the things they wanted to do was reduce the payouts to the players. I mean, obviously they looked at it and said 80%. Why can't we just do 70%? <laughs> and I said, it's not that easy. You know, you just can't do that, especially with competitors out there in the space. And, and Tom and I fought to the bitter end that we just couldn't do that. And if, if, they, couldn't, if they couldn't cut the player uh, paybacks, then they were willing to sell it. And that's eventually what they did. And thank God that Fanball bought it because uh, they not only did not decrease the payouts to the players, but this year we've increased them. In the Diamond League, we're paying back 95.8%. You know, in the Ultimate, we're paying back 92.5%. So, you know, we really fought for the players, and uh, we had to be traded because of it. But uh, it would have been suicidal to reduce the, the price payout by 10%. You know that, Scott. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a tight margin game, like you said earlier. Uh, you're, you're, we're, we're talking with Greg Ambrosius of Fanball, uh, the National Fantasy Football Championship, the National Fantasy Baseball Championship. We haven't talked a lot about baseball tonight, Greg, but uh, the NFBC, you, you mentioned they have to have the back end, and, and, and this is, you know, sometimes you have to take two steps back to take a couple steps forward here. Talk about some of the complications here that have, you know, circulated throughout the, the fantasy football community. I'm sure Fanball is going to try to correct the problems with the back end, and and we'll assure everyone as best you can. But realistically, how do you think this will affect the fantasy football signups? Do you do you think some players will have such a sour taste in their mouths about this back end that they're going to decide not to risk it again in September? No, I mean I, I think well, I mean yeah, anything is possible, Scott. I think it's funny because you know some of the people that are just in football and didn't play any baseball. Right. They're hearing some of the people out there. I mean, obviously Gecko is out there saying some things and stuff. But I mean, seriously. The baseball was very much a disaster that first week. I mean, it almost killed me. Uh, we screwed up fab. We screwed up the standings. We screwed up stats in that first week. And it was just very small errors programming-wise that was that turned it into a disaster. And seriously, there were people that wanted their money back and stuff, and I don't blame them. I mean, it just did not work out well. But uh, by the second week, we were correcting some of them. But every time we took a step forward, we took a step, two steps back. It was very, very difficult. But since week two, we've really been on steady ground. 
I think our back end is better now than it was last year, and it was great last year with stats. Uh, we are steady as she goes. There are some features I wish we would have programmed that aren't programmed yet, but uh, all the bugs that have been done in baseball, whether it's fab, whether it's the roster sets, whether it's the free agent quicks, we've added some things that are really nice. Our back end is very nice right now in baseball, and all of that has been tweaked for football. Uh, the football people have the baseball people to thank because they're not going to have to go through any of the headaches that happened before. Uh, our fab is done in four minutes every Sunday. We run 182 teams. We have 2,850 teams in baseball. We were up 31% in, in uh, revenue and participation this year in baseball. It was a huge year in baseball. And I understand our diehard baseball guys who felt we should have had no hiccups out of the gate. We did not plan on any hiccups out of the gate. But shit happens in programming and technical support. Okay. And uh, it was tough. I mean, it took the life out of me. And I was very sad that, that we let our guys down. But I'm telling you, it's going smooth right now, and football is going to go smooth too. And anybody that has any problems, we'll have the site up three weeks beforehand so everybody can see the back end and, uh, and, and test everything out. But we have features that are really nice. Free Agent Quick has all the free agents on one page, everyone in your league, and you can bid right from there. So... So we're going to be okay. But, you know, you asked the question about owning your own back end, and, and here's the deal. Krause never would have done the NFBC because they didn't have any back end support. If Stats Inc. and Steve Bird hadn't said, we love this idea, we're willing to invest in this. They wanted to own a port because Steve felt that we really could do this together. And that made Krause say, you know what, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, let's bite the bullet and see if Greg's right, if this is a market here. And so Krause owned it, and we hired Stats Inc. to do all of our back end, and Stats Inc. did it for six years. And they were fabulous. They were fabulous. But the time and effort that it took Stats Inc. to do all the programming and run all these leagues for us, we weren't paying them enough. I mean, they worked for EA Sports and ESPN and stuff, and thank God I was a friend with Steve because he kept us along for a while, but I don't think they could have done it even this year. If Fanball wouldn't have done this, I'm positive that Stats couldn't have done this again another year with us because we just weren't paying them enough. And I think FFPC and some of the other companies are seeing that too, that uh, there are now more expenses for Stats, and you know, to pay a third party to do this is getting tougher. You know, There was a time when TQ Stats, Fanball, Stats Inc. and All-Star Stats all had third-party games. They went out and solicited companies. They wanted to run SI.com. They wanted to run WCOFF. They wanted to run us because there was a good profit margin in there as they were doing other games. Now there's more expenses involved, which I won't get into, and it's tougher to make any money running these games for other people. So if you don't own it, you're going to have to find the right company to run these for you because it's just getting tougher out there. And I think we had to own it, and I think we had to build it. And unfortunately, we had hiccups. But uh, going forward, and especially with football, I don't see any problems. And then we own it, and we are going to make this right going forward. Well, in our industry of – Hang on. Yeah, I'm going to jump in real quick. Uh, you know what? You you bring so much to the table um, – you know, uh, you've got a lot of great gimmicks, uh, and I, I call them gimmicks because that's <laughs> what they are, and what uh, that's what makes the uh, fantasy football world uh, so much uh, so much fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, do you no, pay attention to other leagues yep. and exactly what's going on in those other leagues, and do you learn off them? Do you, you know, feed off of them, and do you? Yeah, I mean, Mike. 
you're, you're, you make a great point. I mean, that's the beauty of this fantasy football market. That's why I don't understand why people cut down other games. We don't need to take market share away from FFPC or WCUFF. We need to grow the fantasy football space so that there's more players out there so that we all grow. You don't ever see me ripping these other contests because it doesn't okay. do our industry any good. We need to all grow. When I was the head of the FSPA, that's what we said. We said we are going to grow the, mark, the pie every year so that every company in our association gets more of the market. We don't need to backstab our competitors to get more market share. That's just stupid. And I'm seeing that happen. And Scott knows that's happening. And that's bullshit. We don't need that. We just need to grow this thing. You know, do I look at the other contests? Ryan and I played in FFPC last year, and we won our league. And we won $5,000. And it was great. Dave and Alex do a good job there. We played WCOFF. And if Tom Brady would have made one more pass to Randy Moss against New Orleans, the two of them shit the bed that day, we would have won that league title too. So we play both those games. We plan on playing in both of them. And Dave's played in ours. And Jesse and Dustin played in ours for six years. So, yeah, we watch what's going on, and we know what's going on, and we play in each other's games. But, uh, you know, you talk about our gimmicks. And you can call them gimmicks, but what they are is for the players. You know, we do them for the players. And 3RR, third-round reversal, is very unique. Nobody else does it. But we just felt like a balance of power by going 1-14, to 14, 14 to 1, and then starting out third round, back down at 14 and going back up to 1, really balanced the talent more than letting the not only does number one get the first pick in the first round, but getting it the first pick in the third round makes them doubly tough to beat, I think. So that's why we do third-round reversal, and then we do the Kentucky Derby where we allow you to pick where you want to go. So, yeah, they're gimmicks, but they're for the players. We want to have more input in the hands of the players. Why should I, as the game operator, tell you where you should draft when you may want to draft somewhere else? So that's what we do with those type of games. But, again, everybody has different rules, and there's something for everybody out there, and that should be good for players, correct? Uh, yeah. That, that's absolutely right. That's what I want to hear, Greg. And uh, the one thing that uh, the one thing that really struck a chord with me was, uh, you know, the bottom line is it's for the players. And, uh, yep. you know, I just wanted to uh, just wanted to address the situation of, uh, Yep. You know, different things that they're going to be uh, fair based and fair based for everybody. And uh, you guys, you guys want it, and you got it, and you're doing it right. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you. You're listening to Greg Ambrosius of uh, the National Fantasy Football Championship, National Fantasy Baseball Championship, and we've been talking about the the back end. Obviously, in our industry, uh, fundraising and, and uh, call center technology, it's a very uh, it's a very technology-driven business, and, and we've found that maybe outsourcing is, is best because what that's not our line of work. And, and, mm-hmm. and technology guys, they speak a different language than us management guys. If you, We could sit there and ask for something 15 different times in 15 yeah. different ways they hear it. So was it, were your back-end issues more related to communication issues and, or, or, and not plugging those gaps? Or, because most of the time when you're having software, you, you test it. On a fully functioning uh, dev server or a development server, while you know, while you're before you ever put it into play. So was it just an issue of had to get it in and it was kind of rushed because of the sale? Or no, no, not not at all. Uh, and it wasn't a communication problem either. I mean, it was definitely a programming problem. Uh, the fab that that really caused it all was was something that was fixed the next morning within an hour, and uh, unfortunately, 
It caused a whole bunch of problems that whole next week. The next Sunday we ran fab, like I said, in four minutes. You know, it just ran perfectly. So uh, the fab started bad. But, uh, no, I think if there was anything we did wrong, uh, I think the guys would probably say they they tested it and tested it and tested it, but they should have tested it 100 more times. But uh, Hey, I remember back in year – I think I remember back in year two, not to cut you off, World Championship, uh, Lenny's almost – you know, he pulled his hair out with that uh, the waiver wire that ran uh, early yeah. before it should. And so when those types of things happen, you've got so many people on uh, spending so much money on the line. I mean, technology could yeah. really be your best friend and your worst enemy at the same time. Oh, yeah. So. Ab- yeah, absolutely. And, you know, nobody felt worse than us. But, uh, you know, we feel like we've got it down now. But, uh, you know, like you said, outsourcing is, is the way to go. That's the way everybody has gone. Nobody else has built their own in this space uh yeah, you can talk about jungle and affl.com i mean both of them tried their told own me head. that they were building their own and that's where they spent their money but uh, you don't use people's uh entry fees to be paying for for that you have to have that budgeted yourself as a as a expense uh you can't be using the, the prize money to be doing shit like that greg we've got it we've got questions in the chat room will fanball sell the back end to other contests uh well, they have run other contests with their back ends. I mean, I don't know if we would sell our back end to somebody else, but uh, uh, I'm sure if you called up Ryan and you're competing against us, he'd make you a high offer. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we really have built that for ourselves, but obviously we ran back end for other people. I mean, obviously FFOC, they ran back end in the last two years for, for FFOC. That's all the role they had with that company, but uh, they obviously ran the back end for that. TQ Stats, as you remember, was the initial back end for WCOFF. So, so yeah, I think the answer is yes, the software is available to be run for other contests, absolutely. Greg, you've had a, a, a lot of big shakeups just, uh, just not too long ago. Um, you know, we got word uh, at the FPA, May, I think it was the 1st of May, that uh, there was some big shakeups at Fanball or, or at CDM mm-hmm. Fantasy Sports with Ryan, Ma- Brian, and, and Carol Matthews right. uh, being let go. Can you talk about, uh, did that have anything to do with this whole FFOC mess that we saw that transpired on the boards? Well, I mean, I'm not involved in a lot of those personnel decisions. I mean, Brian and Carol were two of the four original owners of Fanball. Anytime you sell your company... I mean, new management does consolidate roles, okay? When Fanball and CDM were merged, I mean, Rob Fithian and Paul Charchian didn't stay very long. So obviously, things happen when you merge companies. Uh, Brian and Carol, I mean, they were with the company since 1992, so 18 years is a long, long time with them. But, uh, you know, did they merge the accounting departments? Did they merge some other management positions of course that's what happened there uh as far as some of the customer service you know roles that were being let go you know obviously when ffoc did not return i mean there were a lot of positions that that handled the customer service there you know another thing people don't realize is we hired four programmers at that time we did lay off customer service people but we hired programmers i mean i think if you talk to ryan he'll tell you we don't need that many good we don't need that many customer service reps if the programming is done right. I mean, you have customer service reps because they're calling in to complain about something that happened or they needed a lineup change because the system didn't work. So that's what we're trying to do is make sure the system works perfectly so that we don't have those roles. But, yeah, Brian and Carol were two very big names that CDM people knew long and wondered why that happened. And, 
you know, when, when you sell your company and, and manage, you have new management, they consolidate roles, and that's exactly what happened here. Greg, you had a lot of big things happen uh, recently with the addition of, uh, well, you're now up to eight uh, cities now drafting live uh, for the NFC coming up. And with the addition of so many cities, you know, some of us are wondering, well, we had some, we had, you know, you've already spread out a little bit. So you've got some big things going on with this serious radio show and the magazine. Talk about how these things all fit into this grand master scheme here to grow this contest. Because right now, like you said, there are like three big national contests that are all fighting for the same 800, 900 guys. So yeah, do you, do you right. see these things, these radio shows and this magazine uh, and this expansion going to uh, launch it out maybe this year in the next five years? Tell me about some of the big plans. Yeah, I mean, I like you said, I mean, honestly, there's probably 1,200 people who are playing high-stakes fantasy football or fantasy baseball, and that's it. I mean, there is not this 15,000 audience out there willing to spend two grand to play fantasy sports. And so right now a lot of us are fighting for the same customers, and that's where you're seeing the backstabbing and that kind of stuff. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to expand in that audience. And obviously Fanball has hundreds of thousands of names of people who play pay fantasy games. So we need to introduce them to the live event and the high stakes area. That's what we're going to try to do. Right. And we really felt that, you know, bringing the live event to our customers probably would help us grow a little easier uh, right away. Secondly, Liberty did come out to Las Vegas for our, our event at the Bellagio, one of the top management people. He saw what we had and he said, this is fabulous but I want us to blow this out. I mean, why are we only in three cities? Why are we only doing it like this? And so he really gave us the, the, the keys to grow this. He said, I will give whatever you need at, at your dispersal as long as you can prove that we're going to grow this thing. And so he kind of pushed us to try more cities and to make this thing happen. And uh, the Sirius show you know, is a, is a Liberty property, Sirius XM, and uh, this is going to be a daily show, seven days a week, three hours a day, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be all fantasy all day or, you know, every day. And NFFC is going to have a spot on it. We're going to have our top players on there to talk strategy and to talk about how they won 100000 and stuff. Our goal is to make our players the stars. I mean, people should know who Sean Childs is. They should know who Tom Yates is. They should know who Rob Benetti is. They should, they should know who Steve Lutze is, who started in last place in the NSFC championship game and won $100,000. You know, I mean, those are great stories that we're going to put on Sirius and XM and let 18 million subscribers listen to them if they want to. So, so that's our mandate from Liberty is to grow this thing, not, not to just do it by 10%, not just add one more city, not have more people online. Let's let's blow this thing. You know, I think Ryan has said it before. Yep. Hey, Greg, I need to jump in here real quick. Uh, I I know we don't have much time with you, and your time's been uh, great. Uh, you uh, brought up something uh, that said uh, backstabbing. Uh, what uh, was there anything that you meant about that, or as far as any organization, or no, no, no. I just. I just want us as a, as a whole industry to really – I used to be in the baseball card industry, and trust me, at that time it was a $1.6 billion industry in 1993. When things started to go down, 
people started backstabbing each other for the last collectors that were out there. And uh, I saw the baseball card industry just implode. And I don't ever want to see the fantasy sports industry do that. Uh, I don't think we need to steal each other's customers or, or take my game down to make yours look better. So, no, I'm not saying that about any individuals or anything like that. I just think as an industry... You know, we just need to, to keep growing the market share, and we need to applaud companies like Fanball who do things like this. You know, I applaud uh, FFPC if they can grow this space. I applaud uh, WCOFF. I applaud ESPN and Yahoo. I mean, I'm on our boards today just applauding their auction software because it's just fabulous, and it's going to help grow that, that part of the space. Well, I should never be Greg, afraid to applaud those people. Yes, and uh, you know when I told when I asked you earlier, do you pay attention to other leagues and this and that? Yeah. Uh, you learn from, you grow from it, and uh, you know you you got a great uh, you got a great thing going. And I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to bring any ill ill feeling, but uh, I, you know, when I heard the backstabbing, you know, it just it just kind of stuck a, me. Mike, it's a, it's, Mike it's, a com, it's a common vibe between the boards. you got the loyal players that love their contests, and, and, and they go to bat for them whenever they can, and I think that's probably what, what Greg's talking about. There's obviously criticism, and there's lots of fair criticism and unfair criticism across all the contests. You just you just got to kind of try to cipher through a lot of that, and that's kind of what the FPA was, is, is partly here to do, is to, to try to cut through that and, and get, get kind of to the chase. Uh, when we can, uh, let, let's talk real quick, uh, Greg, because you know um, you, you have mm-hmm. branched out to so many different cities here. You know, you got the Bellagio and you got City Field. Those are obviously not cheap to do, and you, so you did introduce the events fee, a very modest events fee. And yeah. now we, I know at uh, we're, we're at Trackside in Chicago, next to Arlington <laughs> Park. There, that's yeah. kind of for, for us horse fans and avid fans. So this, <laughs> we've got a little bit of a fifty dollars events fee, kind of to be at OTB and kind of get together with football guys. Are we going to get our money's worth there, or what? Yeah, I mean, we're going to have a buffet there. We're going to have drink tickets. I mean, I can tell you, because I'm doing every single contract, we're having about $50 expense in food and beverage. And seriously, we just want to cover all of that for us. And I'll tell you what, because the economy is so bad, we're getting really good help from the hotels and these places. And, uh, you know, we're at Gillies in Dallas. You know, we're at, uh, like you said, Trackside. I was down at Trackside. You guys are just going to love that. There's TVs everywhere. There's a beautiful restaurant. You walk outside. You're on the backside of the stretch there. You can hear the horses go by. You guys are going to love that place. It's it's killing me, Greg. It's awesome. They have two huge bars in that room. It's a big room, so you guys are going to be spread out. I don't think you'll be hearing the picks, you know, as easily as you did at the – I mean, the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center, I'm sorry. We were there six years, but this is where we want to have fun. And I want to, I want to see you guys signed up and in Chicago and talking smack there, and then I want to hear about you winning the trifecta. How's that? <laughs> Greg, I, I want to tell you something, and, Mike, I want to tell you, too. These phone lines have been absolutely jammed the entire show. I've had these lines lit up, but I know we don't have a lot of time. I'm going to go ahead and open up a couple of these lines real right. quick, and, and you've got one question you can ask with Greg Ambrosius. So I'm going to open up 901 area code. Let's open up 901 area code. 901. You're on the air with Red versus Blue and Greg Ambrosius. What's your question? Hi, Greg. This is Steve Carter. Hey, I met Steve, you how are you out doing? You're just fine. Yep. How are you doing? I met Good. you out in Las Vegas, I think it was in 1998 at the Expo. It yep. was the Fantasy Football Expo. Yep, yep. And I was wondering, is there any plans for anything like that again? Because it was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. 
You know what? That was fantastic. I, James Sarah put that on. He had Randy Cross speaking there. It was at the Tropicana, and uh, that was really a good event, and that was what opened my eyes. It really did. I said, we need to be doing this, and we were doing that in every field uh, with the hobby publications, and I said, this is what we got to do for fantasy. That was really an eye-opener for me. Uh, we do that. In fact, we just hosted a show in uh, Las Vegas in March. We'll have another one the third weekend of March where we had uh, Chris Johnson there, Mike Sims Walker. So there are industry shows like that, and uh, I'll get you some information. I'm at greg at fanball.com if you want to email me, and I'll get you more information on some of those shows. But that was a consumer show with uh, uh, some big names like NFL stars like Randy Cross. But uh, we have some shows like that, and I'll, I'll get you in tune with all that, okay? Well, I would certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. Great. Love hearing from Steve Carter. That's my our good buddy show yeah. and, a, and, a, and a fellow Jets fan right there, a high-stakes yep. veteran mm-hmm. that's, been, that's played since year one as one of the first guys I met out there in Vegas. Let's take another call, Greg, uh, from the 715 area code. This is, looks, looks like your backyard here. 715, you're on the air with Red versus Blue and Greg Ambrosius. Yeah, hi. This is uh, Tom from Wapaka. I just um, long-time listener, first-time caller, and just <laughs> wanted to ask Greg if there was any truth to the rumor that he was going to be hosting Chicago and letting that really cool Kessnick guy run Vegas this year for football. God, I thought my wife was calling to tell me to come home pretty soon. Uh, no, Tom, Tom is a loyal employee, but he knows he's never getting back to Las Vegas as long as I'm still working at this company. That's my home away from home. <laughs> This is uh, for for the insiders. Uh, this is Tom uh, Kasenik from uh, the fantasy football uh, national fantasy football championship as well. Uh, welcome, Tom, to Red versus Blue, buddy. Hey, thanks. I don't mean to take any time from your other callers. I just wanted to uh, call and say hi to everybody. Hey, you and I are going to be out there the second weekend, and we're going to be hosting the Diamond together and an Ultimate and Super at the Bellagio. So wow. we'll have fun out in Vegas together. All right. Yeah, I'm not sure the NFSC is ready for me and you to host a city together, but it'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, the beer bill is going to be a little bit higher, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are at it, the Bellagio, and that is something that uh, we've been waiting for in the industry. The FFPC came out and got on a five-star hotel. Now you guys and the World Championship, seems like the whole bar has been raised for us, the players. It's only a good thing. Competition has yeah. brought out the best, and, and now we're look at us. We're at the Bellagio uh, for this Diamond League. Talk about that Diamond League and what that's all about. Oh, it's great. I mean, uh, it's a $10,000 entry fee. We're paying back 95.8%. It's a 12-team league. Uh, we've got nine spots filled already, so we only got three spots left. Uh, that's on Friday, September 10th at the Bellagio. You know, we did a Diamond League for the first time this year in baseball. We filled up 15 spots in a week in December. Uh, it blew my mind away because, I, one, I didn't think people had that much discretionary income. But honestly, I think the people want a fair contest with a really good payback, and this is as good as it gets. So we're going to fill that one up. We're going to fill up an ultimate at 5,000. We've already got a full super at 2,500, and we'll probably have a second one. So, yeah, the economy is is down, but uh, the diehard fantasy players still like a good game and a good payout, and that's what we're giving this year. Well, I know that's going to be one for the uh, not the faint of heart there. That's uh, that's one of the big dog <laughs> leagues. So um, anybody that uh, – Mike, you got some spare change laying around we can join that league? Or? Well, I, you never know. You never know. Spare change is just happening. Ching, ching, ching. We can, we can sell, our, sell our horses and sell our cars, huh? Is that what it is? <laughs> yep, there you go. All right, Tom, thanks for calling. We're going to free up another line, and we're going to bring on Matt Waldman. Thanks for calling, Tom. All right, guys. 
We've got Matt Waldman from Football Guys. Greg, I want you to stick around because I, I, I wanted to bring Matt Waldman on this week because I was absolutely entertained this week and enthralled with this article. Again, we always look and scour the web for uh, information that we can find useful uh, when we're getting ready for our drafts. Uh, Matt, are you with us? I am. How are you doing, Scott? Great to hear your voice, Matt. Good, good, good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being on Red vs. Blue and and uh, you're on here with uh, Mike Trent, our co-host, and then Greg Ambrosius is one of our special guests tonight from the NFFC and Fan Bowl. Uh, Matt Waldman is uh, one of the staff at Football Guys. Matt, tell us a little bit, how long have you been with Football Guys, and what's that relationship about? Well, I've been with Football Guys. This is my second year, and I've been, in, I've been a writer in the industry for probably about five or six years now. And um, what I do with Football Guys is I, I write a, a column that I kind of took with me um, from elsewhere called the Weekly Gut Check, and that's something that I do preseason and in season, as well as another column called 2020 Hindsight, which really is just a, an in-season column that talks about you know the week before and what we can learn for the week ahead. And and I also am you know editor of what we do is basically one of our in-season features for subscribers, which is a um, basically editing the basically the waiver wire picks that we should be looking at. We like at football guys would like to list off players who we feel like are our guys that are on the rise or on the decline and that we should watch in terms of, you know, who you want to monitor to pick up. Um, so, and it's one of our more popular features that we have going on there. And then, and then in addition to that, um, another publication that I work with a good bit um, for the past five years is my own publication called the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, which is a 700-page um, rookie analysis of fantasy prospects at the skill positions for um, – you know, for the coming year. So basically what I do is study film for about six months out of the year, and, and I use my own specific system um, that's basically used and um, kind of borrowed from best practices in, in another industry that I was in for several years to basically do quality assessment, and I, and I basically have applied that to football. And so that's something that I've been doing for quite a while, and all that stuff's available at football, guys. Matt, there's a, there's a fantastic article, the Weekly Gut Check, number 190. This is an article you've been doing for a while now. You call it last year's second-half wonders, this year's 2010 sleepers and breakouts. I want to run through just a couple of players that I saw. It's a fantastic report. Everybody has to go check it out. There's so much information. I just want to focus on a couple of key guys here. You talk about Matt Moore and Matt Stafford specifically. I, I found a lot of interest with both of those guys. Uh, tell me what you saw in Matt Moore last year that makes you feel like this year is going to be a, a, a good year for him. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, the article, the premise of the article is that they performed a certain percentage better in fantasy points per game over the second half of the season compared to the first half, and that that's some sort of a, you know, it's, an, you know, it's not supposed to be a magically, you know, some sort of mathematic predictor of next year, but it's just players that should get your attention, and then we can look a little bit deeper as to why. And for me, Matt Moore, a lot of it was that early on in his career when he got a little bit of spot time for Jake Delhomme a couple of years ago, even as a rookie who was cut, essentially cut by the Cowboys in camp and moved over to the Panthers, is that he was – he, he was pretty composed. He was, a, he, was, he was very good in terms of being um, fairly efficient for a young quarterback, didn't make a ton of mistakes, um, seemed to take care of the football pretty well. What was nice about this year is he still seemed to have that tendency, but unlike, say, a Trent Edwards, who a lot of people, including myself, felt like that he would take the next step, 
Matt Moore showed that ability to be more aggressive downfield. And I think that when you see that he had a couple of three-touchdown games against the, um, against the Vikings and the Giants, I know that, you know, you know, especially the Giants who had some secondary issues last year here and there, um, you know, but still, when you take a look at somebody like Moore, you see this guy who's able to maneuver around the pocket, which I think is a very important skill, not just mobility, but just to be able to you know, move away from the pass rush, keep his eyes downfield, keep his form, and be able to find that receiver, and, and also not just check it down all the time. And I think with Moore, you look at the combination of you know, the two players they have in the running game with Williams and Stewart, um, and Steve Smith, I think that he was more effective with Steve Smith than Dell home was, and if they can just get, you know, either Jared, which I think is a bit of a stretch, or LaFell, if they can get a combination of those two guys to actually produce a little bit as a, you know, as a complement to Smith, I think that Matt Moore can be a sneaky good player for you, especially if you adopt a strategy where you're looking at, you know, picking someone late in your draft, stocking up more on receiving and running back talent, and maybe playing a stable of quarterbacks depending on the matchup. I think Matt Moore is one of those guys you want to watch because then he, he can do that, but he may have the upside to be a little bit better than that as well. And I think as much as people like someone like Clawson, um, you know, I think it's going to be a year before they really give him a true shot unless Moore just really stinks it up early, and I don't think that's the case. You're listening to Matt Waldman from FootballGuys.com. We had him on tonight because of this weekly gut check number 190. But if you guys have not heard of the rookie scouting portfolio, you download the 75-page sample. This thing is incredible. Game film and film analysis, player profile, scouting reports. Uh, you need to you need to listen to basically every word Matt has to say tonight. <laughs> He's got this uh, this article last year's second half wonders. You talked about Matt Moore a little bit. Somebody else I saw that you profiled on the quarterbacks was Matt Stafford, and this is a guy that I that I'm already liking for this year. I'm talking about a breakout. The things that I've seen him do, the, the passes I've seen him make, uh, I, I see that Jim Schwartz is going to put this guy to the test this year, uh, and he surrounded him with weapons. He has another weapon in the backfield. Talk about Matt Stafford. Uh, Matt, and what you see there. Sure. And, you know, so you know, to give you guys complete disclosure, I'm an employee at the University of Georgia in my day gig. So, to, you know, to kind of be fair, I probably have a little bit of bias with Matt <laughs> okay. Stafford. Okay. okay. But at the same time, you know, when you take a look at him, think about it this way last year. He didn't have a great season last year, obviously, as a rookie. He, and his second half was really something that our football guy, Shark Pool, discussed when they were looking at the article, saying that, you know, outside of one really great game in Cleveland, his stats weren't all that great in the second half of the season. But when you consider the fact that as a rookie, without a viable ground game after Kevin Smith went down, Calvin Johnson getting doubled and triple covered, and also dealing with a knee issue, and then no real secondary receiver in this offense – an offense that Jim Schwartz said that he essentially said, you know what, it's not Stafford that was the issue. We scaled back the offense because we didn't have the surrounding talent to match what Stafford could do. That's not something you hear very often, even from a coach who is absolutely in love with a young quarterback that they drafted overall number one. I mean, this is a rare thing when you talk about that. And the reason that's rare is that Stafford has those rare skills, and that was what made him that number one overall pick. It's not the fact that he has a great gun from the pocket. It's that he can move around. He can move outside the pocket with someone hanging off of him 
and make that stick throw, that 15-yard or that 20-yard out on the run with someone hanging off of him and be able to squeeze it into a tight space. That's, that's very rare, folks, and that's the type of thing that when you are a young quarterback and you're in a situation where defenses have the advantage over you because you're playing from behind and you have to try and make something happen, that's the type of thing where on a good team you may have a three or four touchdown day and look unbelievable. But on a bad team, you have a three or four interception day because yeah. basically defense has painted you into a corner, and all you can do is do whatever you can to try and make something happen. And that's what happened with Stafford. And I think yeah. this year, you look at Nate Burleson, Tony Scheffler, and Javid Best, and if just two of those guys, which I would anticipate you know, that two of them can as they, if they stay healthy, if two of them can provide some relief for Calvin Johnson to even just see double coverage in situations where he's getting just blanketed on one side of the field, Stafford is going to be far more successful because Burleson is the type of receiver when healthy that can make those catches and get open in tight spots and be able to, you know, deal with tight coverage. Scheffler is certainly a decent receiver, and that was what his strength was at Denver when he was healthy. And Best is certainly a good receiver and a Rookie of the Year candidate um, if you believe that he's someone that can, you know, play beyond the size limitations that some people have questions about. And so when you look at Stafford, you look at the, also the defensive side of the ball with the defensive line being shored up, I think that, you know, obviously the defense isn't going to take a huge step forward, but I think it's enough that Stafford will be able to compete in games for longer than just the first quarter and a half. I think that this is a team that can get into the third quarter and be competitive in, you know, maybe twice as many games this year than they were last year, and you're going to end up seeing Stafford be able to do a little bit more creatively and spread the ball around where he's not pinned into a corner, and as a result, he's more productive. You saw some real glimpses of Stafford, but it was a rookie season. You saw the five touchdown days and the five interception days, and, you know, we're listening to uh, Matt Waldman from FootballGuys.com, and we're also fortunate enough to still have Greg Ambrosius on here with us from Fanball. Greg, you're a season ticket holder to the Packers, and, and, and this year I, I think Stafford was injured for that for that Green Bay game. But then when when they did go to Detroit, uh, you got to see uh, you got to see what Stafford could do, and, and and Green Bay lit him up, and I think picked him off like four times that game. Yeah, I mean that was a Thanksgiving game, and uh, I think CJ got hurt in that game too, or wasn't effective at all. And uh, but I agree, you know, Stafford's going to be a very good player. Uh, he's a franchise type quarterback. Uh, this is a long rebuilding process for Detroit. I mean, this isn't turning around this year or maybe even not next year, and this is a very tough division. I mean, Minnesota and Green Bay are two very good teams with defenses that can turn an interception into a touchdown. I mean, Woodson picked them off and took it back in that game. So, uh, But Stafford is going to be a good player. And, you know, you talk about dynasty when you were talking about grabbing Favre. I mean, obviously that's what you'd love to do is get a Stafford and then a Favre. You know, right. let Stafford maybe not do this year. But, uh, but, but I agree with you. Like you said earlier, you think he's going to have a breakout year even this year, and I, I could see him having better numbers this year, no doubt about it. It. Yeah, I think so. They're they're getting drafted right now, right around the ninth round in that Eli Stafford, Favre, Henny kind of category there in the ninth round uh, in Dynasty League. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. Let's move on to running backs, Matt. Uh, a guy that I saw on your list. You obviously you got a bunch of backs here on the list, but the hot name that most players want to look at and it's intriguing to them right now is Justin Forsett. You've got the the release of uh, Lendale White. And you, they brought in Leon Washington. I don't know why they're still talking about Julius Jones, but talk about Justin Forsett because this is a 
this is an exciting name here that, that players really need to tune into. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, he's the, he's the exact type of guy that you want to look for in Dynasty Leagues, as Greg talks about, you know, about Dynasty Leagues and what you can find over a period of time. Forsett's a guy that, you know, he started out, I believe, in Seattle, bounced, bounced over to the Colts as a return specialist, and then they ended up getting him back. You know, so it's the type of situation that Forsett, you know, he backed up. He backed up Marshawn Lynch at Cal. He's certainly a guy that has kind of Brian Westbrook type of size, meaning he's short. He's got the the thick hips. He's got the kind of the explosiveness and the initial burst, um, but decent balance. And he runs hard. He's got that good pad level, so he may not break a lot of tackles that are you know, where someone's going to give him a direct hit or be able to get a shoulder into his body, but he's going to break arm tackles. He's going to have that second effort, and he's going to be able to get low enough to, you know, when he does make contact, that he's going to get you that extra two to three yards. He's the type of player that when you see him, when you saw him last year against bad teams, he had big games. Against good teams, he had, you know, average, maybe slightly below average fantasy totals. Um, but he's the type, and a lot of that can be attributed to also the offense, you know, the surrounding offense and, and the fact that teams kind of could be able, were able to key on him a little bit more. But if you put him in a situation where the offense is a, you know, has a little bit more balance, um, I think that, you know, and also to have another year to get that confidence and to be able to understand what, you know, playing as a starter in the NFL, we got to remember these are young people who are playing the game and they're adding what I like to call man weight, that extra 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. They're still maturing. They're also still maturing in terms of their work ethic and understand how to prepare season in and season out. And, you know, heading into his third year here, I believe, if I'm correct, if I remember that correctly, he's, you know, I think he's at a point where you're going to be able to see him contribute on a level with consistency and have that stamina that you're looking for from, you know, probably a, if not a lead back, you know, a strong enough complement to be, you know, probably a good third fantasy back for you hmm. in a lineup that allow flexes. Greg, this is the reason why I think I don't win my leagues because I tip my cards and I tip my hand to everybody that <laughs> listens to this show, right? Justin Forsett is a kid. I love these PPR backs, these, these backs that catch the ball. NFFC, we get a half a point, so it's not as valuable. Nope. But still, with Justin Forsett, this kid finished 26th on the year in points, and it wasn't until week 10 that he got more than six carries in any game. So yeah. this, and this is a kid that they have more confidence in this year than they did last year with a new coaching regime. I see Forsett as an absolute steal. Right now, I've looked at some early drafts, some drafts that have been going on over the last week or so, and he's going right now in redrafts in, in about the, the late fifth, early sixth right now, Greg. Uh, what, what do you think about Justin Forsett at that, at that point in the draft? Well, don't cry to me about tipping your hands. I used to do, you know, I do magazines where I have my cheat sheets out there, and then I go and draft with people using my cheat sheets and going against me. So I know what you're talking about there, man. But uh, you know what? The running backs, uh, this is going to be one of the most interesting fantasy seasons that we've ever had. And that's because in the past it was running back, running back, running back. But with all yeah. these running back by committees, as you know, Scott, in the, in the first round of the NFFC this year, there's seven running backs on average being taken. Yeah. The others are wide receivers and quarterbacks. In the second round, it's the same thing. Through the first 28 rounds, or 28 picks, 14 of them are running backs. In years past, there used to be 22 or 23 running sure, backs. Right. Just not the case. So if you can find somebody like Forsett who is going to be a number one back, 
and you're getting them in the fifth or sixth round, you've got a chance to win it all this year because you'll have loaded up on wide receivers or the top QB, and then you're going to get a guy like this who's a number one back. So, yeah, don't tip your hand too much because these are the type of guys that are going to win you the 100000 this year. And, Greg, I'd like to add to that, if you guys don't mind, because one of the things that we talk, I talked about last year in the strategy article is exactly this concept about, you know, the running back by committee, but more from the standpoint of saying, if you're going to go high risk in a draft, if you're going to go high risk, high reward, which I don't even think is high risk, I think it's actually just defined convention. And to me, if you go with convention, you're actually taking a bigger risk because, it's, it, you know, convention isn't really the best thing to do and, and when everyone is kind of going in that, in that direction. To me, right now, if 70% on average for the past five years, 70% of the running backs who were in the top 12 one year don't repeat the next year mm-hmm. and everyone's drafting based on what they did the year before, it yeah. might be best for you to get receivers early and take chance because the rece- the running backs who are going to take their place are guys that you're going to be able to get in the mid-rounds when everyone else is trying to shore up other parts of their lineup. And this is why looking at running backs like this who have a, a mid-round ADP, as you talked about, and a lot of these guys on my list have this mid-round ADP, are candidates to be able to look at. You have to have some guts to be able to draft these guys in a block and say, I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to draft four or five of these guys in a row, and they are, and I'm going to start two of them, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, you know, I know that I found good, uh, a fair amount of success in redraft leagues last year giving that a shot, and I like to experiment. I don't mind, you know, messing up because it's, fun, it's good fodder for me as a writer to be able to experiment with different types of techniques and, and share that with readers. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that. Ron Chandler, he is obviously a baseball guy, and he says the same thing, that over 60% of those drafted in the first round of fantasy baseball do not be first-rounders at the end of the season. So why is everybody chasing last year's statistics? But that's what we all do, obviously. And so you have to think out of the box to win in these leagues because first-rounders, not all of them are going to be uh, first-round values. And, uh, yeah, that's why I really do like the top four running backs because I think those four guys are pretty sure things. And uh, I like the front of the draft this year more than the back end because I think that's where you're going to see your 70%, like you just said, uh, right. maybe not being first-round value. But I'll tell you what, well, that, if you, that, if, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, that's so true. With uh, I was just listening to uh, Greg and Matt, and uh, that's good stuff. Uh you know, you never know what you're going to get uh, from the from the front end or the back end as far as uh, you know players uh, that that should be the number one prospect. For no. instance, uh, uh, Adrian Peterson. I mean, he should have been number one last year, and uh, it was it didn't turn out that way. So you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, you cannot base it on last year's stats, just like baseball, like what you guys were talking about. You cannot base it on last year's stats. you got to move forward and uh, look for 2010 and 2011 and see what happens from this point on. Well, let's, let's, let's uh, embrace that strategy then, Mike, because there's a guy on this list here that you talk about, Matt, that you know, it's not somebody that you you know you're you're making all these wild claims about, but I wanted to bring him up just because I see his name on here, and it's one of these names that has always had potential, but he's never really done much with it. <laughs> it's Lawrence Maroney of the New England Patriots, and you saw some things late in the year that he did that may 
give a glimmer of hope here that maybe this guy can do something better next year. Yeah, and it's the type of thing that you just kind of – these are the risks that you have to take because at the same time, I'm not asking – when you look at – if you read the article, you'll see that I'm not asking you to take the guy in round five. Right. I'm, you know, I'm telling you, if, if his average draft position is, you know, somewhere between rounds eight and 12, and you can get him between rounds eight and 12, he's low risk, high reward. Because when you look at what he did last year when Fred Taylor got hurt and the other backs got hurt, he – you know, he had, I believe, five games with at least a touchdown. Um, he certainly was able to show a little bit more patience um, and also a little bit more decisiveness at certain times um, and also tougher running. There was a game, one of the games, which obviously this you're going to say, well, it was against the Titans in the snow, but it was kind of that moment where he, the light came on for him, and then the next five to six games he started playing better. And what that light came on, it was this type of moment where basically he had become a hesitant back over the past couple of years. Um, he, he tried to dance a little too much like Reggie Bush did early in his career, and as a result, he didn't take what the defense gave him. He didn't get north and south, lower the shoulders, and if he, you know, because he was trying to find, he has great vision, and he can see the open spot, so he's trying to find that open spot and turn a five-yard gain into a 30-yard gain. The problem is, is that in the NFL, you can't do that like you did in college because you're not the most athletic guy on the field anymore. What you have to be able to do is you've got to be able to lower the shoulders and see that you have a four-yard opportunity in front of you, and if you show good technique, you lower the pads, and you make contact first, that you can often turn that four-yard gain into a 30-yard gain um, because just because of that fact. But if you don't, at least you keep your offense on schedule. This is something that Maroney has not done consistently. It's why he's been benched at times in addition to, you know, some of the injuries that he's had. Um, but last year he started to do that. He did that in that Titans game, ended up with a long touchdown run. And then after that he seemed to do a much better job, watch him against the Saints, being able to bowl over safeties when he got there. And, and even then, you know, you look at – the reason that I like his potential is that even though the New England Patriots offensive line statistically was rated very good, they, they had 48 sacks two years ago they allowed. They only allowed 18 last year. Um, the running game was, you know, was better in terms statistically. But, they, you know, Stephen Neal's getting old. When I watched him, you know, or I watched him a little bit earlier today just to kind of, kind of prepare for this a little bit and watched him again against the Saints and the Colts. And there were several plays where you watch Stephen Neal, and he, he's, he gets past the first-level guy, cannot get his body on the second-level player, which would have been a difference between a three- or four-yard gain and maybe a 10- to 15-, 20-yard gain for Maroney. And it's those types of plays that good running backs have because of their offensive line. You know, when you see a stat line of 15 carries for 64 yards and three touchdowns, you say, well, you know, that's nice fantasy-wise, but he didn't have such a great yards per carry average you'd like to see, you know, or he didn't have as many carries you'd like to see. He maybe had one good carry. He only had, you know, maybe 22 yards on the first carry on, you know, of those 15. But when you look at the game in the context and you, and you study the film, you see that there were a lot of plays that were, left, you know, big games that were left on the field because the 
the offensive line wasn't able to get to the second level on plays where they were able to, they got there, but they couldn't hold the block. They couldn't sustain it or could, couldn't get in front of that second level player to make a difference. And also their running game's a little bit predictable in terms of what they do in terms of scheme and formation. And Lawrence Maroney is a better zone runner than he is a, I would say, kind of a guy who does gaps or trap plays or where he's following a pulling guard. And one of the most common plays that they were trying to run last season that he wasn't as successful with is one where they do pull the guard to, to the right side of the field. And when and it's the type of thing that I think that because offense was a little bit offensive, I was a little bit banged up. Um, they didn't have strong blocking at the tight end position. I don't think that you know. I mean, Ben Watson was okay, but not great. Um, but they're getting now Algie Crumpler, who's you know obviously as a receiver is past his prime. But he's basi- he's basically embraced the role once he went to Tennessee. He basically was interviewed and said, "I'm embracing the role as being basically a, um, an honorary offensive lineman for this team." And he obviously did well with the Titans. He's going to do well in that department with the Patriots. And I think that Maroney has the most upside because of his athleticism and age. That if if he can be more patient, which he even admitted today that he needed to mature in that way, that he not had to stop looking for the big play all the time. The first step is being able to admit it. And if he can do that, you know, and then I think that, you know, he's someone that could be worth well more than what his ADP is. Greg, I've got you on here, and um, I'm looking at the ADP, like you said, man. You're not saying go out and buy him, but in the 11th round is where I'm seeing Maroney get drafted. You know, it's the type of guy that you could, you could, you might be able to get behind. I remember he teased uh, Maroney teased us quite a bit. He had eight touchdowns in that six-game span last year, and I remember talking to high-stakes veterans, wondering if they should put him in. Is, is he gonna is he gonna continue that? Because it was like a couple two touchdown games right in a row, and everybody was like, man, 15, 20 points would be great right about now, and then he'd let you down again, you know. But so. You're not saying go out and just, you know, go hog wild, but 11th round, I mean, it makes sense. Greg, another guy I see in the 11th round that is just blowing my mind that, that, that it's happening. Not that it's, not that it's a surprise that it's happening, but it just, it's, it's amazing to me that a guy who's making $10 million a year next year, Clinton Portis, for the Redskins, is being drafted in the 11th round in, in dynasty drafts when just last year he's a first, second rounder. You're adding McNabb. You're adding Shanahan. Do you have any insight at all into what Clinton Portis is gonna is, is gonna do this year? No, I don't. I mean, but they're bringing in Larry Johnson. They're bringing in all kinds of people that compete for the job. So it doesn't give you a warm fuzzy when they're doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously his health has just deteriorated to the point where I just don't trust him at all. And you know, as far as Maroney. I mean, there's a reason why they call him Phony Maroney. I yeah. mean, it's just tough to to trust in that guy. And, you know, Belichick is just impossible to figure out there on who he's going to go from week to week. That's the part that just kills you uh, with Maroney. But, uh, you know, I agree with a lot of the things that are being said there. You know, Portis, you talk about a guy who just fell from, right. you know, elite status to the gutter in such a quick time. You know, I, I've, I've done a draft every day this week for the Fanball magazine, so I've seen Portis out there and Larry Johnson and stuff. I mean, Johnson is getting some carries with the first team, I believe, this week in, uh, in practices and stuff. So, well, yeah, but Portis uh, still isn't even out there. He, he's not even practicing yeah. yet, So I know. That, that's what I'm saying. Is At this point, it's very tough. So if you're drafting, I mean, obviously you can take a chance on him. I have Portis ranked ahead of Johnson, but uh, – I just that would be a gamble there. It's it's a gamble in this late rounds, but you might as well roll the dice on some of these veterans because if any of them do get the number one job and hold on, again, that's where money can be made. 
Yep, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that, uh, Greg. I mean, it's just right with that uh, three-headed monster, so to speak, in Washington. Uh, that's where you have to go with. And uh, pick the one that you think is going to be uh, formidable and go from there. And yeah, that, And that's going to be tough. Yeah, you're taking a Portis ahead of somebody else that might be out there at the time over like a uh, like a Tashard Choice or a Marshawn Lynch or an Arian Foster. These types of guys that present some really exciting flash over somebody who, you know, who knows if he's going to make it to week one or not. But right. if he does, if he does, the components are there for a, a nice Washington rebound type year with McNabb and a good feel-good story there. I mean, <laughs> It would be it would be pretty interesting to see him pull it off, but in the eleventh round, I could see I could see taking that risk. So. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you always want to get the Shanahan's back. That's for sure. I mean, he'll run them to the till he doesn't have any more. So you, you definitely want to get that guy. We just got to figure out who that guy is going to be this year. Yeah, Matt and Greg, you both talked about wide receivers uh, going early this year. Uh, obviously, we're seeing first round drafts five, six wide receivers in the first round legitimately so because if, when you can get this type of value later in the draft let's move on to the wide receivers matt uh you've got a lot of names out here you, you feel free to talk about who you want i know you got aroma should do at the top of this list here um if you want to talk about him i saw pierre garçon on your list too talk about one of those guys yeah certainly i mean aroma should do is interesting to me because you know a lot of my colleagues at football guys tend to like um hester and they tend to like knox as, as the guys because they feel like that they're better fits for the system um but I, I, I'm still an Aroma should do guy. I think he's somebody that when you have a have a player like Reggie Wayne say that, you know, this guy has a chance to be a, a very strong starter in the league. And then watching him at Auburn, I mean, he certainly was a guy that could make plays all over the field. Um, just needs to get a little bit more confidence, and he has the confidence of his quarterback, Jay Cutler. And that's all you need, especially with a guy that has a gunslinger mentality. A key thing that you need to remember is that no matter how skilled a guy is, he needs to be able to have the confidence of his quarterback. And the court, and it's key because we're going to see this with Matt Leiner and Larry Fitzgerald this year. One of the key things that Kurt Warner said about his ability to become a good quarterback, a good passer in the Cardinal system for Larry Fitzgerald and turn Fitzgerald from a great player to an all-world fantasy player is that he had to have the faith to throw that ball up there and let and let Fitzgerald come down with it. He had to be able to put it in tight spots. He had to be able to say, I'm gonna, this guy's going to get the ball for me. And I think that Cutler has that kind of confidence in Aroma Shadu. Obviously, Aroma Shadu is nowhere near Larry Fitzgerald. But at the same time, he's a guy that, you know, in key situations last year and big games, he was he had the confidence to go to Aroma Shadu, you know, and Aroma Shadu delivered. So I look at that and I think that in a Mike Martis offense where you can have three you know, three receivers go for a thousand yards more often with that type of offense than any other in recent history. Um, you know, even if Knox and Hester are better plays, um, or maybe turn out to have as good or better stats, I mean, certainly there's room for a number three guy like Aroma Shadu who could end up being a strong fantasy number three in your lineup. Somebody has to perform in a Mike Martz offense. There has to be some big wide receivers in it. I don't know if it's Hester. We don't know if it's Knox. Aroma Shadu, Greg, you saw him uh, play against the Packers last year, and that was kind of his breakout game. Do you think, uh, do you think Aroma Shadu can make it? You think I'm going to say anything good about a bear? There's just no way I could do that. No, he looked really, 
he looked really good against the Packers, no doubt. In fact, he scored against Woodson there in the end zone. Uh, he he looked very good. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know that he's an interesting one for wide receiver three, and I think that's a good choice right there. Uh, you know, I'm looking at some wide receiver twos on this list that uh, should have breakout years. I mean, Michael Crabtree, certainly a good guy. I've got him. I think ranked 18th among wide receivers. Uh, solid pick there. Hakeem Nix is looking good. How about Jeremy Macklin? What can he do there this year? You know, I think he's got the potential to have a bust-out year this year. You know, Meacham had a really good year with New Orleans. Uh, he'd be a wide receiver three. So, you know, the wide receivers are deep this year. Uh, I think it's great to get a number one early if you can, but I'm telling you what, if you don't get it, you're going to get a lot of good wide receiver twos this year. They're going to have 1,000-yard seasons and possibly 10 TD seasons. So some good guys. And I know you mentioned a lot earlier Des Bryant, you know, as, as a nice sleeper later on. Uh, that kid was so talented. And he, you look at his highlight reel catches that he had there at Oklahoma State. I mean, this, this kid's got great hand-eye coordination. He's in an ideal situation. I know there's character issues and all that kind of stuff, but uh, – I think him and Romo could be something special even this year. I know he's a rookie wide receivers. I know what happens to rookie wide receivers. They they disappoint. I mean, CJ didn't have a great rookie breakout season. They ne- none of them do. But this kid's got some potential, and and I like him later on in the draft. Absolutely, Greg. And you know something you you touched on. Yeah, uh, you know I, I'm skeptical. I'm I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, but I'm I'm skeptical of him. Uh, uh, you know, because you don't know what you're going to get. But uh, you got to go after them. you got to go after them. Uh, go get them while you can. But one thing about it, uh, in the early drafts, uh, when they start happening, which they are going on right now, is uh, how many wide receivers are going to be out there and available. Uh, when you start uh, going to the uh, 30, 35th pick, the 38th pick, the 40th pick, I mean, there's going to be a ton of wide receivers available. Yeah. yeah, and you guys talk about, for instance, receivers in, in their rookie years. Since 1988, there's only been six receivers that have posted 1,000-yard seasons as rookies. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and since 1958, going in which you know, nobody was playing back then, there have only been 12 total. So, and when we're talking about, you know, fantasy points in terms of fantasy points, you know, the top 24 production, the average points probably for that is around 120 is like the baseline for that, you know, to be in that club. And since that period of time, there's only been 41 receivers, including 2009, that have been, had 120 fantasy points in a standard scoring league. So when you look at that kind of production, I mean, certainly there's going to be one or two guys, maybe even more that can do well for you. But, you know, that's the, it's the type of thing that it's, you know, you don't want to draft them high. And that's why he's yeah, on the I, football guy staff. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with that. And I think those are great numbers when you were talking about Calvin Johnson. I mean, that rookie year, if anybody would have told you he was not going to get 1,000 yards, you would have been surprised. And, of course, he didn't. Uh, but uh, Des Bryant is going, you know, 60th wide receiver or 55th wide receiver overall. So nobody's expecting a 1,000-yard season out of him. But he could have some good games that would be okay as a bi-week filler. Yeah, I mean, I, you look, you know, I mean, you can get a guy like Austin Colley last year, would have been a number three receiver for you, a solid number three in, in a lot of leagues with 676 yards and seven scores. I mean, that's a good, solid play for you. And to me, a Bryant is certainly capable of getting six to 700 yards mm-hmm. and a half a yeah. dozen scores, and that's good enough as a number three. 
Well, and the problem is you never know which wide receivers are going to bring it. I, I think we remember all Anquan Bolden the year he went off. It, it wasn't expected. No. Uh, the year that Deshaun Jackson went off, it wasn't expected. Marquez Colston had a 1,000-yard season in his rookie year. You never know where these guys are going to come from uh, until year two usually when now they're, now you can draft them where, where they need to be drafted. So it's a very tough, very tough thing uh, when, when you're talking about rookies. Matt, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, the rookie uh, scouting portfolio is a must-get uh, must from football guys in these, uh, these weekly gut checks. Uh, I tell you, when something catches my eye like this, I, I'm, I'm so glad that uh, you were able to uh, come on tonight and, and share with us, man. Thanks a lot for coming by. Matt, it was my pleasure, Greg. Mike, good to meet you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Take Matt. it easy. Hey, that was a lot of fun, guys. Uh, Matt, uh, Matt was kind enough to, to come on, and, and if you guys haven't checked out that article, take a chance and read it. Print it out and just and, and lay it around the house because there's so much information there. You're not going to get through it in one setting, and, and that's the kind of article that I like to see. Greg, man, uh, we, we've, we've talked about so much tonight. Uh, you've got these new contests. Uh, you've got the online championship that's, that's uh, coming on board uh, with $50,000, and you've got this new cut line championship. Talk about those and what, what they mean. Yeah, I mean, we did the online championship last year. As you know, we're a 14-team contest. Uh, we we started that. It's unique. Uh, it's really tough. The 14-teamers are tough. I know they've oh, kicked your butt a few times. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we know more people play 12-teamers, and we wanted to expand that way. And so we created an online championship last year at $350. Uh, we were trying for 300 teams, and we ended up with 512. It was a big success. And so this year we're coming out with a bigger grand prize. Uh, we went from 30000 to 50000 And you can draft online starting August 8th through September 8th. And uh, got a chance for $50,000. Uh, league prize of $1,400 in a 12-team league is a pretty nice league prize as well. So uh, so we're, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. The Cutline Championship uh, has not been announced or finalized yet. Uh, we're still looking at that. But... Uh, Obviously, this cut line idea that FFOC started was very popular. Uh, it certainly wasn't the game that was at fault. It was, you know, the, the grand prize, which was just so huge, million dollars. You know, so we are looking at possibly doing a 10-team format with a cut line championship. I didn't play the game. I actually don't even understand it that much, but I heard that the cut line in the playoffs, when you watched the live scoring and you saw yourself just hovering on that cut line, was really exciting. And so... We're looking into that. That would be a $125 game. So, you know, we want to just keep expanding new formats. And like I say, 14, 12, 10, hey, we want to be the place for everybody. We'll, we'll do it $125. We'll do it at $10,000. Uh, we want to suit everybody's needs. So that's what we're looking to do this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I hope you guys sign up and come back to Chicago. We'd love to have you. Well, we plan on it. Uh, Greg, let's move on because we had the questions on the message board that we want to post. The, the big question that everybody wants to know uh, the message board, are, are, they're, the life of the, they're the life of the contest, really. They move us through the offseason for the diehards. That's where the diehards exist. And then you have your fantasy players. That just, they just like to play fantasy. They don't get into the boards as much, which still is a complete shock to me. I don't understand how any league – I've never <laughs> been part of a league where I, I didn't go on the message board and, and, and read what was going on. It's just never me. But those people yeah. exist, don't they, right? I mean, what message board character has been your biggest pain in the neck? Well, there's two of them, without a doubt. There's plenty of them, but uh, the two biggest ones are definitely Gecko, who's one of the uh, most unique people I've ever met. I mean, unfortunately for him, he's one of the best fantasy players out there, but his antics on the message boards have overridden his, his accomplishments. And, uh, you know, he's on our baseball boards right now where I just I can't take him anymore. And uh, he just... Oh, well. 
he he started out, I think, as an antic to get some attention on on ripping other players, and I think uh, he he outgrew his persona. And uh, he's a good guy, he's a good friend, but uh, he's my number one pain in the ass right now. There's no doubt about it. How many and, times? Uh, how many times have you had to ban somebody on the boards? Well, I never banned anybody on the boards. Uh, we asked Snake to take a, a two-week sabbatical. We asked him to take a, a sabbatical because he was just overriding our football boards. I mean, we can't really have someone just making all the posts and always when answering every single thing. And, and he just, uh, for a while there, he overrode him. But, uh, you know, Glenn's a good guy, too. He's won two uh, straight NFSC titles. That's a hell of an accomplishment. Only a couple people have been able to do that. And uh, so Snake has been... Uh, been my uh my pain on the nfsc boards as well but uh he's a good guy and he's gone through some personal things with his family and we all know that family comes first and so i Absolutely. i think glenn is certainly he's matured a lot more than than maybe mark has and so i think our football boards are solid right now and we're just talking football we're not getting into any of these uh personal rivalries and that's what i like about it well, so. you, you said it right family family comes first and i was very touched by a thread that was going on on your baseball boards if i wouldn't have just went in there and checked in i would have never heard about it greg but you have uh, a, a daughter that has yeah. been going through some tough times and and to hear some of the stories the the, the board came together and they they got together and and are doing something very special for her. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you know, it is really special. I mean, my daughter Danielle is 11. She's uh, a great kid, straight A student, but uh, she was born with a birth defect in her leg, and uh, she's had four reconstructive surgeries in a, in the last four years, and she's got one more next year. And uh, they had to break her ankle and break her fibula and move her heel this last time, but. Uh, her leg is straight for the first time in her life, but she's in a cast and stuff. And the boys uh, heard about what was going on through the grapevine, and uh, a bunch of guys got some money together and uh, bought her a present, actually. Uh, when she came out of surgery, here was this nice present with some balloons and stuff from NFBC guys that she had never known. She said, Dad, I don't even know these people. I said, Honey, you're in their prayers, and uh, they care about you. And uh those guys have no idea how much that meant to my wife, mm -hmm. to me, and my daughter. And that's what this is all about. Uh, you know, Scott, when, when a new person joins the NFFC, I say, welcome to the NFFC family. Uh, I have a very tight family at home. They're number one. And that's what I'm trying to make our contest out, to be a family where we root for other people and we, we pick them up when they're down. And uh, other people have had family problems, and we've all come to each other's aid. And... Uh, that's what it's all about. And so those guys lifted up our spirits when we were down, and uh, uh, we really appreciate that. And uh, I and hope I'm said, there for them whenever they have a problem. You know what, Greg, and I've said, uh, that, that's, I, did, I did not know that. And uh, that's really uh, that's touching, and I'm glad that everybody is uh, reaching out. And that's what yep, it's all about. Reaching out? Yep, that's what it's yep. all about. And uh, everybody's home and doing good. And uh you know, it's 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 all good. Danielle's going to be very very fine through all of this. So I appreciate everybody's thoughts. Well, it's a tight knit community, the, the high stakes uh, community that has been around. I've seen these things um, exist on other boards as well with uh, Weaver's son uh, when the tragedy that happened there, and people do yeah. band together. And uh, I, I do love that about this industry and this uh, yeah. the group of people that we have around us. Greg, thanks so much for being with us tonight, man. We we could go on and on all night. We've got to get some sleep. <laughs> I mean, we've got we got. 
we got to get some sleep and when we do this show late night for the West Coasters. But and I, and I hate that because the NBA they start their games at nine o'clock, and I can't stand you know staying up that late to watch a basketball <laughs> game. But I, I'm really thankful that you uh, decided to stay up with Red versus Blue and the listeners. And this podcast will be available, and I'm sure it'll be featured one of the most listened to of the year. So thanks for joining us tonight, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys um, you know in, in Vegas this year. Well, thanks much, and I, it's my pleasure to be on here. I've always wanted to be on here. A lot of guys talk about it. I know the high-stakes guys listen to this show, and, uh, you know, I'm always available. Anybody can call me at any time. I'm I'm not running from any questions or anything. You know, I know there's tough questions out there for our group, but uh, anybody can call me anytime. I'm accessible, and uh, I'm a high-stakes player. Ryan's a high-stakes player, and we're also game operators. So let's all win this year and have a great, great year. All right, guys? Great Absolutely, Greg. Hey, Greg, thanks again, and, uh, you know, I wish your daughter and uh, your family uh, all the love in the world, man. Appreciate it. Thanks much. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. See- that was awesome, Mike. We had Greg Ambrosius from uh, Fanball and NFFC, the NFBC. It was wow. uh It was a heck of a night uh, here on Red vs. Blue. We went in and we started the show early, then we went into overtime because we just had so much going on with Matt Wall. I knew when I booked these guests, I, I said, you know what? I don't want to wait for Greg, and I don't want to wait for Matt. This is the type of yeah. thing that's going on right now. When, when something happens, I want to I want to hit it and get on it. And uh, I, I had to make room for both, and I think we did that. We did that quite well. We pulled I, you it know off what? Right. You know what? I, I, that was pretty cool, Scott. Just let him roll. Let him roll. Let him talk. Let him talk. Let him talk, and uh, it was good. It was good. And uh, I especially like the uh, last little bit with Greg. You definitely hear from us enough. I mean, that's the whole goal is to listen to those guys talk and give them opportunity yeah, to, absolutely. Uh, to, to yeah. hear what they have to say. Mike, uh, Harvin or Macklin in a dynasty draft? Har- Percy Harvin or Jeremy Macklin, both upside guys. Uh, one, you've got a quarterback issues. The other one, you've got a brand-new spanking uh, uh, Cadillac for a quarterback. i go Jeremy Macklin. Okay. You already went uh, Vernon Davis over Finley. You went uh, Romo over Rivers. One more at running back, Moreno or Sean Green? Are you kidding me? Is that a joke? You love Sean Green, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I tell you what, I don't know what he's what his role is going to be in the backfield. Uh, you've got Ladanian Tomlinson there this year. I'm not real sure. with They haven't guaranteed him. I wanted to break that out real quick with the story that I read in the New York uh, Daily Times. They didn't. They haven't guaranteed him a, a, a spot. They, uh, you know, or, or a contribution. Brian Schottenhammer said, "With change comes different expectation. Ladanian is fighting for playoff time and playing time. He's got to earn the right. He wants to have the chance to start, so he's going to have to work for it." Well, you know, he he may have to, but uh, LT is going to be. He's a role player, and he knows that. He just got, he just got printed. He got a tattoo. Of a jet, yeah, on his side. Yeah, I, so. I know. I heard that, and, and that's what uh, Schottenheimer said. They said, hopefully, the fact that he doesn't have a guaranteed spot, hopefully, that will have something to do with him getting energized and getting off to a great start. That was in the New York Daily News today. If you want to check out that story, Mike. So it's going to be an interesting situation to watch the Jets running running game. This other other player I want to hit before we go here tonight, Mike. Jermaine Gresham, I'm telling you, this is the kid that you might find yourself a couple years from now. This could be the Antonio Gates that we've all been looking for, trying to figure out where this next tight end gym is going to be. This guy is all the goods, Mike. 6'6 from Oklahoma. He had the bad knee injury. He had the bad, bad knee injury in 2009. But in 2008, Mike, for Oklahoma, 
and Sam Bradford. This kid caught 66 bowls, 950 yards, and 14 touchdowns. Palmer said there's no weakness here. The sky's the limit for him. They don't know if there's anything that any tight end in this league does that he can't potentially do. He's got all the potential in the world, Palmer said. Mike Gresham, he's looking like the sure thing. He, he is looking like the sure thing, but is he in the right system? Is he in the right system to uh, to get all the receptions and everything? Uh, with Cincinnati, I would say maybe, but you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bat right now. As a matter of fact, uh, if you have Gresham, I would yeah. almost sell. Yeah. Well, he's uh, – I don't know if he's sellable, but, yeah, you, you, you could sell him for something. But I've, I've went after him in a couple of leagues. I've got him in a couple of leagues, and there's a couple of other young tight ends that I like. I'm not going to go into a lot of details because I, I know some of the guys are listening. One last thing before we go, Mike, there's a great article over at Football Guys uh, talking about uh, a strategy that uh, I kind of like this year. I want to get your feedback. I know we've never been a big handcuff fan, especially spending two early picks on running backs for the same team. But the Carolina backfield is so powerful. Uh, they've been so productive. In 2008, D'Angelo and Jonathan Stewart combined for 432 fantasy points. In 2009, they combined for 372 points, but D. Will did miss three games. Now, assuming you started a decent running back three, you would have gotten an extra 28 points, bringing you to 400 even for that time period. So for that combination, you could, you could end up starting both guys, Mike, every single week, and you'd be okay. This is, and, and if one of those guys gets hurt, you know, on the wolf chance one of them gets hurt, you probably have the most elite running back in the game, Mike. What do you think about drafting – Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams this year, and starting them both. Well, you know what? I, I don't mind doing that. Uh, I love the hand, handcuff situation. Uh, you know, I, I don't mind taking a green coffee, for instance, uh, with uh, Frank Gore. Uh, it, it's, it's a tough situation, but it's a good situation to be in. You almost have to do that. Uh, it de- just depends on when you can get them and uh, – when you get the first one, when you can get the second one. Uh, what round do they fall? Do they fall to you? Do they fall to you? Do they fall to you? Bing. Get them. You know, it just depends on the round rounds that they go in. Best available player. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd have to pay a, a tremendous price to, to get that type of combination, and that's the one fear. You're, you're turning down a very expensive wide receiver uh, for, for this type of strategy. But, again, they're both startable. It's not the fact that they're not both startable, uh, but you are limiting yourself. It's, it's one of those strategies that it, I, I, I know it can work. You know, the years that Priest, Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson, uh, that, that whole year that Priest Holmes or, or Larry Johnson carried everybody to the playoffs, he was a fifth-round pick. He was like first of the fifth. Right now you're not getting Stewart that cheap is the problem, and that's what, what people are bringing up in the chat room right now. Jonathan yeah. Stewart right now. Uh, however, uh, I think I saw Billy Waz get him in the fifth. Uh, so that is kind of reminiscent of the Priest-Holmes-Larry uh, Johnson situation. If that happens, you know, and you can get D-Will, if you could get your stud wide receiver in the first and come back and get D-Will in the, in, the, in the mid to late second, and then you could come back and get a Jonathan Stewart. See, who are you taking Jonathan Stewart over in the fifth? You're taking him over Ronnie Brown. I don't have a problem with that. Jerome Harrison, no problem with that. Reggie Bush, C.J. Spiller, Forsett, Marion Barber, Brandon J. I don't have a problem taking Jonathan Stewart there at all. I, I think 
that Billy got Jonathan Stewart there in the fifth in this uh, in this latest league here in this dual flat in this dual um, seventy seven. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for for a back like Stewart in the fifth. No question. No yep. question. You better jump on it. Uh, you know, a kid with a ton of talent, and uh, you know he can build on it. If he may even go to another team. I mean. Well, not not going to happen this year. They're, they're going to be Panthers, but uh, for, for, for Dynasty, absolutely, you could end up having yourself too, guys. But for redraft is what I was talking about. I think if I can get Stewart in the fifth in a redraft league, I'm taking him. I don't want to give him my cards here, but it'll happen, guys. If you're in a league with me, you know, just get used to it. Jonathan Stewart's going to be taken in the fifth <laughs> if he's there uh, when I'm there. So, Mike, great, great uh, show tonight. We, we went into the overtime. We did a two-hour show. Uh, who would have thought that this was what uh, we would have done tonight? But, Hey, great crowd in the chat room. The crew at Red vs. Blue is here to stay. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. We'll try to load up another great show for you guys. For Mike, this is Scott on Red vs. Blue. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Scott. See you, bud.
Hello. Honey. Hello. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.